it sounds country, man, that's what it is. It's a country song. Yeah, okay. Well, one, two, three, four. You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai. Busted flat and Baton Rouge Heading for the trains Feeling nearly faded as my jeans Bobby thumbed a diesel down Just before it rained Took us all away to New Orleans I took my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana Was blowing sad while Bobby sang the blues With them windshield wipers slapping time And Bobby clapping hands we finally sang a bell song that driver knew Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose Nothing ain't worth nothing but it's free Feeling good was easy love when Bobby sang the blues Feeling good was good enough for me. Good enough for me and Bobby McGee. From the coal mines of Kentucky to the California sun, Bobby shared the secrets of my soul. Standing right beside me, Lord, everything I've done. Every night she kept me from the cold. All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We are back. We are on the air. We are doing an episode, even though we had to make a mad dash to do this episode. We actually didn't know if we were going to do it until about, no, I'd say about 40 or 50 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So... It's one of those episodes. Anyway, I am uh, your host, the Samurai, across the board from my good pal, Big Willie, on the on the phone this week. Yeah, smartphone stylies. Yeah, smartphone. It's you know, it's just the way it goes sometimes. But hey, it sounds good. It sounds good on my end. So I think we'll be just fine. All right, this week is our Diabolic DVD episode, uh, Sammy Selection. Uh, we're going with uh, a madcap, to say the least, musical called Forbidden Zone. Um, which if you haven't seen it, it kind of has to be seen to be believed. And, uh, cause I, I got a feeling if you haven't seen it and you listen to our review or anybody's review of this, you'll like, there's no way that really happens in the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. And, uh, and a review of the, uh, film from, I think it's, I think Forbidden Zone is 1980. I want to say 80. And yeah. I think Tulane Blacktop is 71. Also sounds right. <laughs> Let's just go with that and hope I'm right. And I'll let you know later on when I synopsize maybe. Yes. All right, all right. So that is what we are covering. It's been a mad dash. I'm going to take a break, take a drink of Gatorade, let you talk about what you've been watching. Nice. I somehow, somehow, against all odds, had a really good week. So did I. Um, but uh, my odds stacked up in my favor in that I fell incredibly ill and could not move for one day. Oh well, I was going to say oh nice, but that's not nice at all. No, not the nicest. But I did get you know one, two, three, four, five extra films in this oh. week. <laughs> Nice. Did you get to double digits? 
Uh, no, I did seven for the week. That's not bad for me. That's pretty oh, good, Actually, man. you know what? Let me take that back. No, I did eight. I did eight for the week. Wicked. Wicked. Okay. Good stuff. So, yeah, my week was pretty good, too. Like I said, despite it being um, – oh, everyone had a good Victoria Day long weekend here, which, of course, was a very much Canadian holiday. Uh, it was beautiful weather. I think it was – it was uh, 25, 26 each day Celsius, which is about uh, 50, 80 Fahrenheit every day and sunny, which for long weekends, at least for this long weekend for us, is always usually cold and rainy. So yeah, yeah. it was beautiful. Nice. Um, so uh, I got my week off to a good start after we did the show last week. Um, I, I actually, I'm maybe giving this uh, film some false praise. 21 Jump Street. Oh. Got my boy C. Tate's in it. Uh, got our, our newly minted boy Jonah Hill in it. Yeah, he's made a comeback in our hearts. Yeah, he has. Um, it's oh, it's it's fine. It's it's not great. Uh-huh. Early on, I was like, man, I can't ride with this film at all. And my wife was the same way. It's something we always say about comedy being very generational. Uh-huh. Some of it, it just wasn't funny to me. But I will say this: um, they're good in it. There's one part I laughed really hard at, which is when uh, Hill and Tatum are high. <laughs> Which sounds kind of lame, but it's really funny um, because they have to interact with someone. And it, you got you, if you've seen the film, you know the part I mean. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will give this film that I think it's the people that wrote it are more insightful than maybe um, the studio or the source material would. And there's some good cameos too. Uh, would give them credit for is when they have to go back to high school and. They're walking through the the parking lot and they say, okay, well, those are the jocks and those are this and this is that. And then they get to like the hipsters and they get to this and they're just baffled as to who, like what this, this clique is. And <laughs> I can relate to that because I'm 32 and there's times when it's like, okay, I got a pretty good handle on things. And I was just saying this one the other day, I don't even know like what drugs kids do today. Like there's probably drugs, there's certainly I'm sure drugs that kids do that I don't even know what they are. Yeah, yeah. It could be like someone could hand me like, a handful of it, and I would have no idea what it is. And it just, they kind of touch on that a little bit and how um, it, it just it, things have changed. You know, things change from generation to generation. And, and even, it, it just, it was kind of insightful and humorous. And I could appreciate that being someone who's far enough away from high school now that I'm a little bit out of touch with, with what's cool. Yeah, I have, I have that feeling when it comes to shopping for tennis shoes. Does that sound crazy? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I always end up shopping for tennis shoes, and I always want to get plain white tennis shoes. And my wife says I look like an old man. <laughs> plain white's good, though, man. It's classic. Like if you yeah. like the Stan Smith Millenniums, or you know, yeah. there's certain things that never go out of style, and that's minimal stuff. You know, yeah. you can see when the '80s is when when things got excessive. That's when things dated themselves. Yeah, she's like, you look like a dad. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, hello, I am yeah, one now, so I guess it works. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, man. Like I always felt like I had my ear to the ground with with what was cool and. To kind of be out of touch from that, I had to chuckle in the film because they just they got their footing and then it just kind of falls by the wayside. So uh, worth a rent, uh, certainly, you know, but it, not great, but but worth a rent for sure. Um, shifted gears, watched a film, uh, Las Acacias or Acacias. Mm-hmm. Very minimal film from Argentina about a truck driver who has agreed to um, have a woman with a very young baby ride from a mountainous region of Argentina into Buenos Aires, I guess, I think, I think the tie is that his boss knew this woman and she needed to, uh, get to the city. So it's, it's a very minimal film, but it's, it's pretty well done, well observed. There's some nice quiet moments in it. Uh, solid watch for sure. Um, then I shifted gears yet again and decided actually to go back to a comedic, like sort of a buddy cop comedy film. And I did, uh, more Hill and Spencer with Miami super cops, which is an incredible title. Yeah. Uh, pretty good film, not as good as Go For It. Um, 
has got a pretty incredible, like, um, uh, he's from some sort of, I would presume, a Floridian tribe of uh, native people. And this guy's awesome. Like, I posted a screenshot of him wearing, I think, like a teal leather members only jacket and a pink tank top. He's got a bit of a mullet. And I was like, why couldn't this guy be in more of their Miami films? So he's got some fun moments, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I watched Sweet Home Alabama, the Southern Rock Saga, which I want to say someone on our boards posted. I can't remember who it was now. Was it Bernie? Was it Duke? I don't know who it was. But they had said that they thought you and I would both dig it, and uh, I did dig it. Um, I was never really a big Almond Brothers guy, but having seen this, it afforded me the opportunity to maybe revisit um, some of their stuff. So a good documentary for sure. And that led me down a wormhole because on the side on YouTube there's I guess a series that a channel in the States but called Unsung. I don't know what channel it's on. And so the the documentary which was only like thirty five, forty minutes long was the Ray Parker Jr. story. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I don't know that much about Ray Parker. I mean, I know what everyone knows. You know, who are you gonna call? Yeah. I don't know I didn't really know truthfully anything more than that, despite being a you know, a soul guy and I learned a lot, man. I mean, the guy was an accomplished writer. He wrote uh, Leo Sayers, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing got ripped off. I never got any any money for it. Through no fault of Sayers, uh, should mm-hmm. be said, but just an interesting little documentary. Uh, then that led me down another one of the unsung ones called The Story of DeBarge, which wasn't as good but was darker than I would have thought. Their father was pretty abusive physically and sexually. Yeah. Um, and their reputation. Um, Most of those guys have problems now. Jesus, yeah, it's pretty bad. One of them died from AIDS and yeah. pretty sad story. And I, you know, I only know them from their stuff uh, in the 80s and because it was kind of innocent pop in a way. Yeah, very upbeat. You know, yeah, upbeat, man. Yeah. And hear like about the drugs and the 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 abuse it was kind of wow but it, i don't know maybe i was a bit burned out on music documentaries i'd watched three in a row at that point so um then i jumped to countries and i went to jamaica and watched countryman or rewatched countryman <laughs> which uh which is pretty fucking awesome uh i highly recommend countryman to everyone it's probably the jamaican film i feel that most captures um the rastafarian uh, sentiment or the 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 faith probably the best in the context of a popular culture film um it's got some titties i mean it's an exploitation film but it's got a rastafarian kind of bent and it's pretty fantastic like countryman throws people or like throws them like a superhero throws them it's, it's pretty good man he runs around on a loincloth and you know good film i highly recommend it um kept my streak alive watched a pretty fantastic film from hong kong it was apparently a bit of a Holy Grail film until DVD hit, and it's called Angry Ranger. Uh-huh. Pretty awesome stuff. Um, it's it's pretty much wall-to-wall action. I heard some of the crit- criticism as well. It doesn't really get beyond sort of action. And I think, well, that's kind of the point of some films. I think sometimes people are too quick to, to penalize uh, action films, you know, because they don't have more to say than, than just kind of being a pacey action film. And I think that's that's all they need to be sometimes. Yeah, you know, this is a prime example of that. Very surface, so some plot stuff shoehorned in, but that's okay. Uh, next up, Eight Million Ways to Die. Uh, they upped it from Six Million Ways to Die, and we went to Eight Million. And this is, of course, Jeff Bridges, Andy Garcia, Rosanna Arquette when she was still. They were still trying to. Speaking of shoehorn, they're trying to shoehorn in as a bit of a sex pot. Yeah. Um, good film. It's interesting because you get Hal Ashby as a director who's trying to make very much an 80s cop film. And it was one of those things you kind of tell it was square peg round hole. 
Uh, I still quite like it. The bridges from that time is, is sublime. Garcia is still channeling his inner um, Pacino and Scarface, which he yeah. did a lot early on. And his outer ponytail. And his outer ponytail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and the last one I watched was one that I, I kept saying over and over and over. It was, I think, one of four films that I didn't get to see last year before I crammed year end that I really wanted to see. And that was uh, Panos Cosmatos's Beyond the Black Rainbow. Okay. Uh, I was pretty sorely disappointed with it. Um, I know one of our friends is a huge fan of it, um, but I, I just I felt like um, it, it would have been better served as a 30 or 40 minute uh, short film. Mm-hmm. I feel like the aesthetic is there, but the when there's scenes, when there has to be dialogue between characters, they're pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not awful, but Cosmonos has an astoundingly good eye for films. It does very much sort of look like THX or 2001 or Dark Star, you know, a lot of that 70s sci-fi, and it looks beautiful. But once you get beyond that, it, it's it's almost too slavish and too, like, it, it's too busy fetishizing that stuff for me that once it gets sort of away from that, it falls apart. And at that point, I'm, I'm starting to get really annoyed. So not an, an awful film, certainly, I would say, Cosmos especially because I think it was his first film. Uh, it's, it's a good start, but I want to see what he can do with someone that can keep, can keep, can put some stake to go with the sizzle that he can really bring. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it obviously, but, uh, you know, the imagery looks great. So I expect it to look good. So, yeah. but, uh, like I say, I haven't seen it yet. So we'll see what happens. <clears throat> All right. So that's everything. Huh? That's it. All right. So, uh, my week got started off with Steven Soderbergh's Haywire which uh, is very good. It's very solid. Um, it's entertaining. It's only an hour and a half long, and you know it moves, and it's fun. It's nothing original, but it's fun. Gina Carano's got a nice presence, which is good. That I was going to say something else. Well, she's got a lot of nice, a lot of nice assets, yeah, yeah. it should be said. Um, actually, she looks better. I think Gina Carano is better looking when she wears no makeup and is in fight mode than she is when she gets all dressed up, because on this Special feature, she's all dressed up, and I didn't even know it was her. I know what you mean. Some chicks just look better with no makeup on. Yeah, and yeah. With it, when they try to soften themselves up too much, it almost goes the other way, where yeah. it's like, you looked fine as sort of this. Yeah. yeah, She looks really bizarre. But anyway, if you see the special features, you'll know what I mean at some point. But uh, if not, you can just go out and look at any. There's probably some interview clips out there somewhere. But anyway, uh, no, the movie's good. The movie's got a really strong cast. It does feel a little bit like a trick movie in some ways, you know, great cast surrounded by, you know, a amateur actor. But she holds her own with these guys, so I was pretty impressed with that. Nice. Um, Antonio Banderas uh, has two moments that belong in the Facial Hair Hall of Fame. Uh, that fucking guy, man. You know, if, if if I ever get to 50-something, and if I even look like a sliver of that motherfucker, 50-something. Oh, yeah. It's fine wine. This fucking guy, man, he's just, he's bringing it. There's a point toward the end where he's wearing, you know, the, the white, uh, you know, the tropical clothing, the white cl- kind of cheesecloth yeah. shirt, the pants. Yeah. You know, he's got a Three Musketeers mustache with a little triangle down below the lip. I was oh, like, wow. you fucking motherfucker. So he's a he's he's a magnificent bastard, and this is the silver and gold guys will say. But no, it's it's fun. It's definitely a fun movie. I wouldn't consider it great. Probably wouldn't have been on my top thirty, but I definitely but had fun, a good time. Yeah, worth your time. Yeah, it's really good. It's a good film. Glad though. to see Banderas back to back films this year that are reminding people how great he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just wish people would you know use him more often. That yeah, 
He's a, he's a super talented guy. You know, not just good to look at for the boys and the girls, evidently. Great comedic timing. <laughs> he can do it all, man. Yeah, no, he's 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 an actor for the ages. He just isn't used mm-hmm. correctly sometimes. I think. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I watched uh, Punished. Uh, this is directed by I think Lau Che. I don't even want to fuck it. I'll butcher it. <laughs> but anyway, it's produced by Johnny Toe. Let's just put it that way. Okay. So this is an Anthony Wong film. Lao Ching Wan? Is it Lao Ching Wan? Yeah, I think it is. Is it an older film? I don't know. Uh, it came out in 2011. It came out in th- 2011. Punished. Yeah, wow. called Punished. So it's a Johnny Toe production and uh, stars Anthony Wong. And uh, let me just, you know, pull up some names here because I just literally just pulled it up on uh, – it's on Netflix Instant down here. So I just literally pulled it up. I saw Anthony Wong. It said Punished. Like, well, this could be good. I'll just feel like watching something with Anthony Wong in it. And uh, Lao Wing Chung directed it. Interesting. Yeah, Lao Wing Chung. Lao Wing Chung. <laughs> Lao Wing Chung. <laughs> yeah, Wang Chung directed it, and he had fun that night. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Or why wasn't it? Hmm. I have to look it up. But anyway, uh, the film is good. It's it's not great, uh, but it's it's more of a uh, it's more of a drama then i think it kind of sells itself as a like a revenge film mm-hmm. and it is that a little bit but it's more of a, a, dra- a heavy drama more than anything and it's got some real real touching moments in it and stuff so i would definitely recommend people check it out it's good is it a milky way film uh yeah it is a part milky way production yes okay yeah, yeah it's milky nice so it's a little milky I still wanna... <laughs> very nice <laughs> uh but it, it's, it's good it's a good film uh definitely check it out uh i don't know if i'd rush to see it but i think you'll well, Wong brings it like he always does, but he doesn't bring it like in the uber cool mode here. He brings it like a father in this one, so it's pretty good acting. But uh, you know, you, you expect that. Him. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was say you should expect that at this point from him. You should see him as a fucking awesome burnout punk rock father in um, Initial D. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, he's another actor who can do it all. Oh yeah. Uh, I then watched uh, Underworld Awakening, which is exactly what I thought it would be. Uh, blah, <laughs> it was. I, I've gone on record for saying I like the first two Underworld films. I don't love them, but I enjoy them. Uh, I'll say the same thing. Kate Beckinsale does look good in the outfit still. That that stuff still works. But this movie's just pretty – this one's pretty bland in nature. This one just doesn't really – didn't really float my boat. So, Is it a prequel? Uh, no, no, no. I think it's actually an actual sequel to like the second one. The fir- third one was a prequel. Um, but anyway, it's – it's just you know, it's some of it's kind of tired and you know. Is this the fourth one? This is the fourth one, yeah. There's four of those already. Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe, but uh, you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, I watched. Uh, finally watched the Innkeepers. Oh, checked out the Innkeepers. I feel a lot of the same ways that you guys felt about it. Uh, I feel like almost like this is Ty West kind of working towards something else. Like it's an in between film. Uh, like he's trying some things here, like for something he wants to do further down the line. Cause I do like the way the camera moves in the film and some of the oh, sound yeah. editing. There's, there's some the good, lighting and stuff. Yeah, there, perfect there, for the period. Yeah. There's good stuff in the movie, but, uh, it is a little inconsistent in its tone. And, uh, you know, the reality is I'm just not scared of ghost. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, to me, it felt like, and I find he lights his film so perfectly for like very much like a mid eighties feel. And I feel like, it it almost feels like a, a really good Tales from the Dark Side episode or something. Like it's yeah. I don't know. Like it would have been a great half hour film, but yeah, because there's a lot of filler in here and a lot of filler. I don't you know I don't think it was necessary. But no. I'd say the same thing you said. Good but not great. Mm-hmm. A little disappointing, but still 
Ty West still, I have to, you know, say, still one of the talented. Yeah, still one of the best young horror directors working right now. So mm-hmm. there's not a lot of them, guys. <laughs> no. So the, you know, it's, it's it's a select group nowadays, and he's that definitely consistently good. Yeah, know? yeah, that aren't making you know crappy sci-fi channel films. You know, these as long as he could keep making stuff like this, low budget and pretty effective. And this isn't like the greatest example, but still, you know, we're we're, we're going to get some gems. So there, there you go. Um, I then proceeded to a film that. You know, excuse me. I tried to cram cram for last year, and it's called General Orders Number Nine. Now, what General Orders Number Nine is? It's 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 about mankind's kind of pervasive exploitation of the natural element, right? Like how we, you know, it's almost like if if we see oh, what are you doing over there, buddy? If we oh see, boy, <laughs> my mom, I'm in my, my mom's house, and there's boxes that I have to remove. They're mine from when I was younger, and it's like Jenga, man. I'm trying to pull one out, and I'm just going to collapse the whole thing on top of my thought. It's not like yeah, a order, but it, so, it sounded like something was being dragged. Because well, if I was back in the innkeepers there for a second, uh, <laughs> like, what is that noise? Um, <laughs> but uh, General Orders Number Nine is is essentially about how America and small towns or towns started as. Towns start, you know, with the center of a town, which, you know, in in, in old school towns like uh, the town in Gremlins or the town, I'm just kind of going with movie towns, Rockefeller type yep. towns, you know what I mean? It's oh, a wonderful totally. life. So you got small towns where you have a courthouse nearby, you have a barbershop in town, you have the school nearby, everything's small, and then it kind of branches out. Well, this kind of looks at humanity's need to branch out more and more and more and how the interstate system has pretty much ruined either you, you can see it one way it either has ruined the natural state of of uh, people interacting with each other mm-hmm. or it's just destroying the natural order of our world and by that you know the community the community is everybody's pretty much especially in America everybody spends almost all their time in their car so isn't that ironic considering we we watched Tuling Black Tuling Blacktop this week yeah yeah it really is but it's a really fascinating film. It's my favorite film I've seen so far this year. But as I said on Facebook and other places, be very warned. This is a very, very, very experimental film. And for some, this will be like watching paint dry with a grown man pissing on it. Oh. Which might be entertaining, but I mean, this is going to be, for some people, this would be a chore. But for me, this is. It's just, not a documentary then. It is a documentary. It is a documentary. documentary. Yeah, it shows. It basically takes a town in Georgia and shows how it starts, everything around it, and then shows the after effects as time goes on. And uh, it's pretty interesting. It's 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 very interesting stuff. So I guess it kind of depends on you know where your moods at the time. But it's it's the best film I've seen so far this year. Wow, very nice. Yeah, and the second best film I've seen so far this year was a little movie I watched called The Gray. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. The Gray is nice, man. Nice and nice and macho. It is. Nice and macho. If I have any complaints about the gray at all, and there there are a few, because I think the film does sound like you're it sounds like you're literally moving while oh, we're recording. Sorry. I'm trying not to. As pictures I haven't seen in about ten years. Yeah. I wanna... It literally <laughs> sounds like that. It's like I'm talking it's like um, I'm done now. But the gray I, I have some complaints. I love the film, I love the setting, I love the plane crash, I love everything in it, I love the macho. Uh some of the cast is good, some of the cast is not so good, I think. That's my my biggest problem. Might be the group of men. Um, it's almost like they cast some instances for them to. to <laughs> they tried to cast for nobody to be more macho than Liam Neeson because you know they needed him to be that macho. 
there's a course, yeah. of course there's always the character that's an antagonist that always wants to start some shit and oh, stuff. Yeah. And I and I was fine the with naysayer. Yeah, yeah. I was fine with that character and in his arc. I was fine with that. Mm-hmm. But what I wasn't fine with was some of the other ancillary characters. They were kind of just, you know, they were just kind of around. I, I feel like they missed an opportunity to have like a great guys on a mission film. Sure. Uh, and they what they got is just a really good guys on a mission film. So, but it is good. It's good. It's uh, it's got some horror. I'll be honest with you, man. There's a couple moments during this film where I jumped out of my fucking chair. Oh, that that plane <laughs> crash got my pulse pounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a moment with a wolf in this that fucking I did not expect, and they they Carnahan did a good job of misguiding or misdirecting like a magician where I needed to be looking, and that motherfucker yep. pounded me with something, and I was like, "You fucker!" <laughs> oh <laughs> you yeah, scare the shit out of a thirty nine year old man sitting in a chair by himself. <laughs> I mean, I literally jumped out of my chair. I mean, it, it scared the fuck out of me, but it was a it was a good scare. It was one of those real like cathartic like you know like woo kind of scary like a Ric Flair scare like a Ric Flair scare. So, uh, good movie, man. Good movie. Um, I think, you know, we, we, we didn't ca- uh, capture it for our year end uh, last year, but it might be on our year end next year because I think I know we, we both dug it quite a bit. So. Yeah, man. It's up there with like 13 assassins macho in a lot of ways. It is a very, and I like, uh, I like what's his name in it? McDermott or Mulrooney? Uh, yeah, no, it's Mulrooney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I he like him. Like in fucking it too. Tony Stark in it, man. Hey, he looks really good because, uh, he did a real good job of hiding his features and stuff. I really didn't think that guy's got a very distinct face. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think he could really uh, hide it, but it did take me a little while to figure out who he was too. But uh, no, good film, man. Good film. Uh, nice payoff at the end. Good guy talk. That's a key to these kinds of films. Good guy talk. When you can talk about a fifty-year-old hooker and touch somebody's heart, you're, 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 you've written a pretty good scene. Yeah, true. So uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It's 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 a little overlong, I think, in spots, and it gets a little existential in spots. But hey. It does, yeah. <laughs> we did watch Tulane Blacktop. So, yeah, good point. <laughs> so that's all I watched. I had a good week, like I say. Uh, that's what yeah, happens when you week. when you get ill. There's not really a whole lot you can do. And so I got to lay on the couch and watch movies, Very both nice. good and bad. So, All right, so that's everything we watched. We're going to take a break. Uh, what do you want to talk about first? Which one do you think you'll have? Uh... Blacktop. Okay, yeah, that was easy. Uh, all right, so we'll come back and we'll talk about Tulane Blacktop. We'll be back right after this. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I've ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. It just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. It's just, just getting confirmation. It's just in English. That's the third time, though. I mean, must, this is on. You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenser.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, you wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody... <laughs> He looks like somebody you can keep, keep a secret.
everybody welcome back all right our first film of the day is a little movie called two-lane blacktop directed by one uh, monty hellman and uh am i correct in saying this is the first monty hellman film or yeah i think somehow I it won't be the last no it won't be the last that's for sure but that's why i'm almost kind of dumbfounded that we haven't covered one yet <laughs> yeah it is it is peculiar he's a guy that and I would have said it with the no, but I'll say it now. I think Hellman is the kind of director that straddles the cinematic universe um, perfectly for our show, meaning there's a lot of European and more art house sensibility with uh, a very much drive-in or genre or pulpy content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a very good example of what Hellman's all about. All right, so I'll synopsize and I'll let you take the lead on this. Um, story of two men drag racing across the USA in a primer grade 55 Chevy. Wilson is the mechanic. James Taylor is the driver. And I'll add for fun, Warren Oates is GTO. Fucking right. Well, uh, this film is a little divisive in our community. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. We've never talked about it between you and I. We've mentioned it here and there. I've talked to Alex about it before because Alex being pickle loaf. I've talked to him about it before uh, when he watched originally. Um, he wasn't a huge fan, so I'm curious as to what you think of this film. So let's go. I fucking hated it. No, <laughs> I'd seen it before. I'd seen it once. I only think actually once before. It was a film that um, I I felt like I had to see back in the day, and I did really like. But I kept waiting <laughs> for the right time to revisit it, and I'm mm-hmm. glad we are revisiting it. It should be said we are revisiting it via the wonderful wonderful Masters of Cinema Blu-ray, which is region-coded for Region B. All the more reason to get a region-free Blu-ray player when you get a chance. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'll tell you something that I, I'm glad happened, so I can mention it on the air. So, midnight last night, I still hadn't watched the movie for the show. Put it in my Blu-ray. A screen comes up with a blurb saying, we're sorry, you can't play this, this Blu-ray in your player because it's region locked. Yeah. And I was, you, you would have, you should have heard the blue streak. I was cursing. <laughs> yeah. The Blu-ray streak. <laughs> yeah. The Blu-ray streak. I was cursing. And it has this great blurb that says, you know, we here at Eureka, which is the, the parent company, master cinema, um, not the parent company, but I guess the, it's actually, actually the company, the master cinema is just a line they put out. Um, it says, you know, we here believe that, that films should be region free, regardless film, uh, music and literature is why isn't film. Yeah, and uh, it just—it's a really great little ponderous kind of thing that they. Um, I saw that too, by the way. Did you? Yeah, well, I have a region-free D- player, but it—you ha- have to punch in codes because yeah, it's modified. What I had to yeah, so it's modded. So I forgot to punch in the code when I first put it in. So I got to see that same disclaimer, and and I totally agree with that statement. Oh, it's beautiful, and I like that they don't—they don't hide like they don't—they yeah. don't pick. What's the word I'm looking for? They don't. Um, I don't know. Well, forget it. I mean, they bring up an interesting point, and I'll just say this to kind of get – this is something that I'm a, I'm a personal believer in. The film industry should treat their art more like the literature – you know, the literary industry has in the past. We don't, we don't harp on people uh, checking out books and reading books and stuff and everything else for free for all these things, for seeing things, for sharing art. But for mm-hmm. some strange reason, Hollywood is one of the most possessive – fucking conglomerates that's ever existed and they should really just let that shit go people should be experiencing things 
And trust me, Hollywood people will buy it. Yep. People and will. I have to do this because otherwise I'm going to be... Fucker. I shouldn't have stuck my nose in there. <laughs> um, I'm totally with you. Do you know how many movies I've bought? In fact, I would be willing to bet you almost every film I've bought in the past two years, at least 80%. Um, are you still there? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. I would say almost 80% of the films I've bought have been films that I downloaded first, watched, and bought. Uh, yeah, I've had a chance on them. Yeah, I've had instances like that. I don't. I, yeah. I never blind. I never was a blind buyer anyway. Oh, I but, wasn't. I, I was before I got married and had kids. It was well, awful. I shouldn't say I never was because I did have some issues, and you know. But um, I am a, a firm. Well, I'm, we we can talk about this for hours. You know. I, I, yeah. Let's just get off the subject. <laughs> Let's get into Julian Blacktop. Let's do that. Okay, yeah. so yeah, the cast. Um, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know how anyone wouldn't know, but the film is um, the cast is James Taylor, very very unorthodox to put sort of this um, sensitive brown eyed kind of folky singer in your lead role. Um, you have Dennis Wilson, of course. Of the Beach Boys, uh, you have uh, is it Laurie Bird, mm-hmm. um, another unknown, and the only real proper actor, other than you know a little cameo by Vint, which is cool. And uh, <laughs> it's always good to see the Vint. Fucking right, and uh, and of course the King, one of one of I think one of the guys we haven't talked about has he even been on our show? Warren Oates. Yeah, he, Warren Oates is he? I don't know if he has been on our show actually. Yeah, I think he has. I hope he has. I'm going to look through his filmography while we're while we're doing this. Um, yeah, because Oates is a guy that I think both of us, I mean, adore to no end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ken, Kentucky born and raised, it should yeah. be said, uh, with actual ties to my family in some ways. Which I won't get into on the air, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. But they, you know, they, it, it, it's actually true. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking through his filmography now. I was just thinking about Lori Bird. She only made three films. She I think she actually committed suicide. She did another one with Oates for Hellman that I that I love that I will drop on the show at some point. Yeah. Of course, Cockfighter. Yeah, which is you know the story it's of fantastic uh, it's film. a story of how we met. It is. Uh, <laughs> what he what did what? I oh love yeah, Alfredo that. Garcia. Damn it. Oh yes, and yes. and Badlands. Oh fuck, that's right. So this is his third time. Okay, good man. We haven't done wrong by yeah. by Warren at all. Um, <laughs> Jesus, that's, that's how long have we been doing the show that we forgot? Bring me the head of Alfredo we're Garcia. Coming on, we're coming on four years. <laughs> it's hard to believe. Four years. This show is older than my kids and your kids. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, it's wild, man. Four years ago, we used to do things differently, man. We used to have real roadmaps for real <laughs> yeah. logistical reasons. Yeah. I tell you, I, t- I tell you that there was the whole time we were trying to figure out Warren Oseby on the show. There's somebody out there that loves our show that was going, "You mother." Fuckers, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Yeah, Jesus. You idiots. <laughs> it's true, man. It's very true. But uh, that tagline, what is it? He, what he, uh, he had his cock in his hand, and it was illegal. What he did with his cock in his hand was illegal in thirty-eight states, or something. <laughs> Just a great tagline. But anyway, so this film on Blue, I want to say this film, I think, straddles the line perfectly um, with an older film being released on Blue, and they don't polish it or clean it up too much, like. Some of the California or the 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 West Coast sunbleached stuff looks a little bit sunbleached. Um, there's a proper, I think, amount of grain and texture in a lot of the the other stuff with the with the films, so it doesn't look overly polished or sharp. You know what I mean? Right, right. They do a really good job of it, and I love the opening for this film. It kind of thrusts you right into it. Um, did we even synopsize? Did you synopsize? This yeah, film? synopsize. 
Okay, good. So the night, I love this nighttime drag race opening. And, you know, it should be said the two-lane blacktop is, of course, one of the preferred uh, avenues to, no pun intended, for, for racers because it's it's not as... Uh, as high profile as you know a highway and this and that so i love that opening with you know it's shot really low to the ground you get that that black guy with the, the two flashlights i guess one green and one red mm-hmm. and everything's kind of low to the ground it, there's not a whole lot of talking or explaining we're kind of put right in the mix we hear cars roaring and we hear a little bit of buzz from people in the background and just kind of these quick snapshots of of uh, a subculture and really as you're gonna hear me bang on a lot in my review of a bygone era yes Yes, almost the death of a bygone era in some ways. Yeah, which yeah. which I, I almost wonder. There's things I wonder about this film, now looking at it through critical eyes as an older man, like it was, and I know how many being who he is, from what little I know of him, how much of this was him capturing a snapshot of Americana at a very specific moment, how much of it was him doing the existential thing that he does. How, you know what I mean? How much did each th- each thing I take from the film, how much did he, how much was he looking to put into that? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, was it was he not too concerned about it? Was it incidental that it, it really was a snapshot of America? I don't think so. I think he's a better filmmaker than that. I think you, ne- you probably need to listen to the commentary. I, I've, li- I've heard, the, I've listened to the commentary before. Have you? Yeah, Hellman, Hellman makes, a lot of the choices in his films are made. Yeah, he's a very he's a very very smart man, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's a he's a man who maybe the renegade filmmaker of the seventies in a lot of ways because he never really he never really bought into anything, and uh, and sort, sadly though it's cost him because he hasn't made a lot of films, but he worked with very important people during a very important time, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know Oates and and Jack Nicholson and. And uh, oh, yeah. all these guys and stuff. And he was around. I mean, I mean, he's even responsible in some ways for Tarantino. You know, if you remember, he produced, uh, helped produce uh, Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this is a guy who loves movies and loves storytelling in all its forms and stuff. So a lot of his decisions, I think, that you're picking up, those are all, those are those are planned decisions. Yeah, I have to think they would be. And it's not just incidental at the time because, like I said, he is a filmmaker that has more in his mind than just making a film, which is why... He straddled the line so much. He had sort of one foot in independent film and one film, one foot in the studio, never going one way or the other. I mean, more certainly more independent than studio, but you know what I mean? He always straddled that line also between art and and uh, entertainment. Yes. But yes. he would use a lot of genre trappings in his film to say things or to explore things. They would only be used as framework. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And this film is a very good example of that. This film, I would say, I can probably say definitively, is probably his most um, talked about and widely regarded film. I will say it's his most it's his most thorough film from first frame to last frame. It's his, maybe not. Sorry, go ahead. It's it maybe. I, I don't know, man. It's a tough one. It's for me. It's his purest film, but yeah. I don't know. You can make an argument. There's a couple other ones in there that, uh, fuck, I always forget he did Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. <laughs> yeah, I know, which is kind of wild. And he actually says that's his finest hour yeah, with a straight face. I know. I know. He he seriously thinks that's his finest hour. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll talk about that more when I get to my side. Okay. We should do a double deuce of that and uh, – and Peckinpah's coked out 80s Osterman weekend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be oh. great. Um, 
but yeah, I love the uh, the credits over kind of the nighttime, and I guess just how low everything's shot right away. It just it puts you in a certain mood, a certain certain frame of mind, a certain aesthetic, and it's just really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, this fifty five Chev is great. It's it's. I was trying to explain to my wife that, and maybe you know, being more of a gearhead than I am, uh, some. And I think it's very much emblematic in a lot of ways. Some people preferred having the primer. It's no frills, no bullshit. It was all about what was under the hood, not was what was fucking on the side of the car. Right, right. Right, very much a message. And I was trying to explain to you, well, it doesn't look very good. I said, well, that's kind of the point. It, it doesn't need to. Yeah, that's not about that. That's the difference in errors again, right? So, you know, there, there are guys back in the day that, you know, had to draw you with the flash and everything else. That's always been around. That always will be similar yep. to you know, a peacock or something, you know, trying to show, you know, show its dick or something, you know, but, uh, the reality of it is the true cars that you always have to worry about are the ones that are the primers like that. And the quiet, you know, the quiet guys and shit, man, because those are the fucking guys. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you completely. There's something about the primered look, uh, that, uh, just, you know, it works cinematic. You wouldn't think it works cinematically because it cinema, you'd want, you want something to draw your attention, you know, uh, like uh, I think of American Graffiti, where all the cars have a certain look, and yep. and they all they all look great. They're very shiny and pretty, oh, and it, yeah. it's a it's a part of the film that's really fantastic. But and I mean that fantastic with a V. Uh, yes. But this film, <laughs> it's almost just as important to understand that these guys don't care about what the car looks like; that's they right. just care if this thing's got speed and power. That's right, and and that's the thing I think too that Hellman is really conveying here is a certain. Um, a certain a, a certain ethos and a certain masculinity that and a generation of men who communicated and conveyed everything through rubber and metal metal and very minimal with words a lot of their talk was talk through shop and that shop talk and the car they had really was an extension yes of what they represented mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it it really was a figurehead for them as a person and what they believed mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a guy thing in a lot of ways. It's yeah. it's a man thing. You know, it's like uh, still to this day you can go to, well, here in Kentucky, I don't know about, I, I would assume in Canada as well, and it's a North American thing in a lot of ways that, you know, you can go to a, a, a flea market or something and everybody's standing around looking at a lawnmower or something. And if you get a oh, couple yeah. guys that, you know, know how to talk lawnmower, you'll get a hell of a conversation out of these two guys. You will. And, and it, this was a time, too, that – this was before the hippie move, or just right, really in the in the throes of it. And this was before men really were engaging too much in in talking with words. So again, right. this was important for them to convey what they were and what they felt through this this metal and rubber. And I liked that Hellman, which he does a lot in his films, he strips things down and he keeps them very minimal. And it's very much in this: you have driver, mechanic, GTO, and girl. That's it. Yep. They represent a certain archetype to a degree, uh, and and that's it. They don't need, need to be any more than that. They don't need to be given names. It's it's really bigger picture than that. Yeah, and I don't even know if something they, bigger. I don't even know if they ever even call Warren Oates GTO. I think it's just just given because just to to minimize things and to put like had to put someone beside the credit. Well, here, here's the thing: people people talk about this film and they talk about how you know they're kind of. It kind of bores them in spots and stuff. And this is a slow-moving movie. This is definitely a 70s movie. Yeah. Um, But here's the main key to this film, and this is what I kind of said to Pickle Pickle off a long time ago. This film is very Americana in the sense that 
if you think about America, a country that prides itself on being built up by the people that live inside of it, mm-hmm. like the car, the 55 Chevy, that these guys mm-hmm. have built and they take out and they race and they live and die by this car. And then you think about the America of the modern future, the Warren Oates character who buys his power. Yeah. He doesn't right. build it. He doesn't do anything with it. He prefabricates it. It's all That's right. It's all fake. And what the genius of this film is, it's a total comment on America and the dying of an era and everything. It's that's where the real genius of this movie lies. And what I love so much about it, the Warren Oates character, especially, he is so full of shit. He can never tell the truth. Oh, and he sells he, is, <laughs> he sells more shit than anybody I've ever seen on in film history, oh, maybe. It's fantastic that every time someone gets in his car, they get a different story about who he is and what he's doing. Yeah. And it's not done in a way that's overly demonstrative. It's just, if you pay attention, you'll see that every time someone gets in the car, they get a new story. Yeah. He's a, it's just he's a, he's a, you know, he's a, what's, what's the word? A something liar. They call it a something. Uh, pathological. Pathological liar. That's what he essentially is. He, he wants to be I, all of these things. But I disagree. Oh, you don't think so? You yeah, just, but I'll tell you why in a second. Okay, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to. My my take is he wants to be all of these things. He can't be anything to anybody. It's like he can't get the girl, which I can't figure out, but it's like he can't get the girl. He can't get this. He can't get that. He wants to be like these young guys, but he doesn't want to be. He wants to have the hot rod, but he doesn't know how to build it, so he buys it. You know, he, he, he walks the walk, and he tries to talk the talk, but that's where he falls on his ass. And I think that, in my opinion, the James Taylor and the Dennis Wilson character, the driver and the mechanic, they see through this guy from day from moment one. They don't even have to talk to him; they see through him. Yeah, I, I think that too. You're you're looking at two opposing. Um, I don't want to say opposing forces because I think that that sets it up wrong. But generations, you maybe? Have, well, I think part of it's generational, but I think you're looking at at one car is very intentionally uh, stripped down, yes, figuratively and literally. Uh, it's handmade. It's everything's blood, sweat, and tears. The other one is very much flash. Mm-hmm. It's one is is fucking gray primer, and one is glossy orange. Yeah, and it's beautiful so, by the way. <laughs> it's gore. Oh, what a fucking car, man! Um, and then you get the guys. Very, you know, Oates is very much more of a talker than they are. They're very minimal. It's mostly shop, and even to the point where Taylor, when he's not in the car or talking about the car, like when he's in the hotel, um, like motel bar and stuff, he just seems very nervous and awkward a little bit, not overly, but enough that you would, you can sense he's not as comfortable uh, as he is. And I, I almost think Oates, and I don't know if this is just because I love Oates and I think of it as Oates versus GTO, but I don't think of it so much as pathological. I think of it just more for his own entertainment and amusement. I, I can't quite. But isn't, uh, but isn't some ways that's what pathological liars do though sometimes? Uh, but, uh, but that, that, that's a compulsion that they can't help. I think he's yeah. very conscious of the decision and he's doing it for his own entertainment <laughs> as much as he's doing it. It's not that he has to say it. I just think it's his way of amusing himself. I, I'm trying to flesh out his backstory in my head and I think I would have to watch the film three or four times in short succession to really maybe paint that, that, um, that's right, but I do think that you're right, and a lot of it is him talking the talk and not walking the walk. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in saying that, I don't think I, I think it's it's a conscious thing for him to amuse himself because he's been doing it for so long that it's his way to kind of keep things interesting because he does do that. He drifts around and roams around and yeah. and what have you. I mean, his existence I like because 
you know, I've always wanted to, you know, just get in a nice muscle car, go driving across the country. It's it's a it's an American dream in a lot of ways. So, you know, I, I really like that aspect of it. I really wish in a way I would have cut into the show now. Uh, I'm not into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking right. <laughs> There's man. one yeah, moment in the film we'll talk about in a little bit, but yeah. I just love how he just goes, "I'm not into that." <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. It's great. I just, I got to tell you though, I just, I love seeing this America. I love. I think it's so iconic. I think. This America is America at its most iconic. This is when people in far-flung foreign countries think of America. I think this is what they romanticize, and this is yeah. what they think of. And yeah. I think this is what Hellman captures beautifully mm -hmm. and very poetic. And I think Malik was attached to this. Either he wrote an early draft of the script or he was attached to direct it. And if you can believe it, Pacino and De Niro were attached to play the driver at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's kind of crazy wow. when you think about that in retrospect. Huh? It totally is. And well, I know some people some have complained because they don't like uh, they don't think you know Taylor's so great in the film, but it's oh, perfect. Yeah, I, I don't think they understand. They don't get it. I think they they, they got to understand that's what that's what he's supposed to be. I'd, I I can see De Niro pulling it off. I, actually, you know, this time I could probably see Pacino pulling it off at, at this time. You're talking early '70s, so Pacino early probably could have yeah he could have pulled it off then, but. Mm -hmm. I'd be concerned. I have this image of the modern Pacino <laughs> playing this character, <laughs> driving. Hoo -ah! <laughs> yeah. Who wants to drive down the road, you motherfuckers? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It'd be awful. Just... What we need is a remake with those two playing the driver and the mechanic at the age they are now. With the fucking V-neck sweaters and the ascots, and, which are fantastic. And Gary Busey playing GTO. <laughs> that'd be beautiful. Yeah, that'd be beautiful, man. That'd be uh, beautiful. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about that. The ascots are fucking um, a character of their own. They're amazing with, in this film. He always mixes and matches the V-neck sweaters <laughs> with the ascots brilliantly. Like, Oates is a fashion plate in this film. Oh, he really is. Uh, he, he's totally good looking. I mean, he's a good looking dude in this movie. Yeah, he's got the older kind of slick, uh, older guy kind of salesman, mm -hmm. kind of a well, you know, well-to-do salesman of sorts. Um, as much as this film is is lauded for being minimal in dialogue and a lot of things, I I think there's some great dialogue in the film. Like I love when they, I think they're at the gas station. That's the thing we, you're talking with the lawnmowers. A group of guys get together and they see something in the car. And they're talking, how fast will she run? He says, "Well, right, that depends right. on who's around." Yeah, just so just some really great kind of your head talk and mm -hmm. you know and like i said i think it's an interesting commentary on maybe the highway system to a degree because this was a time you know hitchhiking was very prevalent obviously mm -hmm. and it was a time that i i kind of stepped back and i thought Lori berg i think she, she gets in the car and they go she goes where are you guys going and they go we're going east and she says oh i've never been east before this was a time when if you lived in small town new mexico you may never meet someone from new york city right so or wherever and i think that even within the country because the highway system wasn't around or just it sort of be well now it was with, with this film but this was a time when when the, you could really get out and see a lot more people in your own country that you never would have met before yeah i know and you said the thing about people from other countries seeing the romanticism of the america that this was and maybe even thinking and this kind of goes back to that general orders number nine discussion a little bit Mm -hmm. Kind of thinking, coming over to America now, driving across country. There's a lot of instances now where you can drive across country and never see any of America. That's right. You can drive across country literally and see nothing but Waffle Houses and McDonald's and, and all the things you can see anywhere because the interstate system is so prevalent now that uh, – and I ain't got to tell you this. I mean, you you live in one of the biggest cities in the world. So, I mean, once the interstate uh -huh. takes over like that, you miss a lot of the character of any city, town, or state. 
Yeah, and that's why a lot of times, especially in the States, you get these ghost towns now because, you know, uh, the country, I think, what it, originally they were built around ports mm-hmm. and then a lot, then the railroad and then, of course, the interstate system. And you see some of these towns that are just ghost towns now. And I know people that drive looking for these ghost towns just to kind of see that snapshot of Americana. And it's, uh, yeah, a lot of it, it otherwise, you, you could never see it. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a byproduct of... Of where things are at, yeah, uh, and and I mean to even take that stamp further. I love diners. I, I always love seeing diners, and you know everyone's congregated around the diner, and yeah. again, it be, and just, just seeing like you talked about with um, you didn't say uh, Capra. Who did you say the 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 uh, small town life? Who did you say not Capra? Oh, uh, what, what was I talking about? Fuck, I can't remember what you were talking about now, but but I love seeing that that Americana, that almost like a Rockwellian, uh, Amer- the department store windows, the awnings. I love seeing that. Yeah. Because everything now has a corporate sheen. Yeah. And it's a completely different time. And even my wife, I was saying to my wife, we, we were we were in a small town near here uh, a few days ago for a long weekend, and just saying how quaint it was with the awnings, and I love seeing the, the store windows and stuff. And you see that in this, and like I said, it almost feels Rockwellian if. The stuff Rockwell painted was, you know, 20, 30 years ahead of when he did. Right. Um, I love to Taylor, you know, like he comes to life with the car because otherwise he's kind of almost uncomfortable in his own skin. They're kind of going back and forth with someone about uh, racing. Oh, yeah. 50 uh, bucks, 50 bucks. Oh, yeah. I got it written down. I got it written down, too. I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, he goes, make it three yards, motherfucker. And we'll uh, we'll have an automobile race. Yeah, he goes, make it three large, motherfucker, and we'll have us an automobile race. <laughs> yes, man, great line. Yeah, great line. I still um, hear I still hear that kind of talk down here in the south. I mean, you'll still hear that kind of shit. You know, I don't know about the three large, but you'll still hear. Well, I, we got us an automobile race here, boys. That's yeah. you'll hear that kind of shit all the time down here. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> Even I've uh, said it. I've been on the highway for it, and somebody gets up on my ass, and I'm doing like 80, and they decide to go by me and glare at me, and I'll look over my wife. I'm like, we got us an automobile race. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, um, and, yeah, it's just a couple of things Oates, I mean, Oates delivers, and I think he says something that very clearly indicates what we all know, and that's he says perform- – he's talking to one of the guys the cow- with a fat kind of cowboy in his car. And uh, he says, performance and image, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And we know with him that's what it's all about, right down to his ascot and sweater. Yeah. You know, because the the guys, the mechanic and the driver, they're in greasy jeans and white T-shirts that don't bear any branding. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas the Oats character, you get the sense he would tell them that these were $200 scarves, whether he paid $20 for them. But he would tell them they're $200 Parisian, you know, Yves Saint Laurent scarves. Because that's who he was, mm-hmm. right? Whether he was bullshitting or not. And right, right. I like when, uh, what is it? He says, uh, what kind of sounds you like? And he goes to put in the tapes because he got a tape deck in the car. Got, I got soul, country, yeah. hillbilly, says the guy. And then he ends up putting the country on. And then you know, we hear Chris Christopherson, of course. See, that that's another part of his character that I absolutely love. Really, in a lot of ways, Oates is he's he's great in this film, but and he's a bit innocent in the fact that he's also he's like an innocent he's an innocent douchebag. If that makes any yeah. sense, no, it does because there's not a whole lot of malice to him. It's it's almost like he's acting like the cock of the walk without too much um, malice or or he did There never really feels to be a bad bone in him per se. He just yeah. I think it's it's all you know what he's almost like. He's almost like the. The 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 muscle head muscle car gearhead version 
of Joe, the male hustler in Midnight Cowboy, the John Voight character. Yeah. But not he, quite as naive. Yeah, a character that wants to be everything to everybody. Yes. And when you when you have a character or a person who tries to pursue that and you bound to have known somebody like that in your life, mm-hmm. what you end up getting is somebody who nine times out of ten, when that person walks away, everybody else goes, man, that guy is so fucking full of shit. Yeah. I wish he just shut his fucking mouth. I mean, I love the guy, but fuck. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but he, you know, he... He he has these moments, and that, that tape scene's a great moment because here he's got music for every type of hitchhiker he's going to pick up. He probably doesn't even like any of this music. No, he could give a <laughs> fuck. It's, he, he's very malleable to the situation. He just wants to put that, something in to have that conversation. And that's the fascinating thing to think about his character is trying to understand what he really is versus what he's projecting. He's a chameleon, and I don't know where he stops and begins for real. Like It's just, you know... It's it's really fascinating. Yeah, you never really know, and the film doesn't answer it, which I think is also the fascinating part. Is yeah. this film doesn't give you answers, and I think it's another reason nope. why some people have issues with it. But for me, that is what I love so much about this movie is that it, in reality, it does give you answers. It's just how much mm-hmm. do you want to work to find them? That's right. You really have to work through a lot of stuff in your head and kind of process of elimination and assume and deduce and take some leaps of faith. But I think that's the kind of filmmakers that that I, I always want to applaud because they have faith that their audience will work through it enough to come to their own conclusion. Mm-hmm. And that's where you and I could have a differing opinion of both Oates. And I think there's a lot of validity. And in fact, a lot of it is correct what you're saying. But I also feel like part of what I said is, you know what I mean? And that's no, the beauty is. of, of yeah. his filmmaking. Yeah. And a good filmmaker. It is because that's what I'm saying. Oates wants to be everything to everybody. So he's something mm-hmm. to me that he isn't to you. And you're, he's something to you sure. that he isn't to me. So it's almost like the performance is so good that even we can't even criticize it in a way because he's so liquid. He's so his character is so all over the place in the film that he's it's like he, a silk <laughs> scarf blowing in the breeze. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with his Kentucky curls, you know. Yes. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. Man. I love uh, I love the fat dude, the cowboy taking a shit in the women's <laughs> washroom, and Laurie Bird walks in. It's like oh awkward. <laughs> Like I've had, I've I've went to the women's washroom before when no one's been around and come out and there's been like chicks there. Yeah, it's wonderful. I did that. I did that in Cincinnati when I was with Dylan and Christine. Oh, that's, and that's right, a, you did. Yeah, I fucking went in there and I I I don't want to say I never. I maybe took a shit in there. I, maybe I did. I, I used it though. I took a piss at least. And and there's a lineup of women out the joint, man. And it was like the guy. I get the cut eye from everyone, but. I wasn't going to be a dickhead, man. The males, the men's was full. So, but this guy, I think he just wanted the clean wash and to put that fat ass down, man. He was pushing. Oh. Um, and yeah, even that whole thing—the coke, the fucking ice boxes—are just beautiful to see. And 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 that's when you get that whole thing when now they start engaging with GTO. And I love when uh, and this really is, I think, the sentiment that you get one type of people, whether it's economic or socioeconomic, whatever it is. When they say to him, they see his car and they know it's a nice car, but they don't, they almost loathe it because of what it represents. And they say, of course, there's lots of cars like yours on the road. Mm-hmm. They look the same, perform the same. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's that thing of buying it versus yeah. making it. And that's also a strong comment on society, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we can all sit around and, and, you know, it's easy to say, hey, you know, you're part of the machine now. Of course, you know, I'll be the first to tell you that, you know, when I was 21, I was anti-everything I am right now. Of course. Because it was 18 years ago. I didn't have a son. I didn't have responsibilities. I didn't have a mortgage, a car, a wife. Uh, at one point, four dogs to feed. 
life yeah. life changes you in a lot of ways. Now, a lot of my belief system is still the same. Yeah. But I understand both sides of the coin now. Yes. Whereas before, I only understood the one side, and that was my side. And yeah. and uh, so it's a, it's a great comment, and I, I, and I heard Hellman talk about it. It's his comment on society on the you know the hippie movement how you know we had all these peace love and stuff and all this stuff and and then you know when the shit hit the fan everybody ran away you know some people didn't want to hang on to that belief anymore it's like oh no you know charles manson all this stuff happened you know i'm not that might have happened after the fact but it, you know what i'm saying this whole hippie movement and and people people fighting against the politics and everything else you, you know by the time the music you, side, yeah, yeah by, the, by the time you get to the late 70s and into the 80s people aren't fighting for their beliefs anymore they're just kind of they're just kind of fighting for themselves yeah and they're just kind of swallowing whatever we feed them yeah and the yeah, politicians exactly. are feeding you this you know this is what i'll give you if you vote for me this is what i'll give you yeah. oh yeah man that sounds good i'll take some more of that so you know yeah. we, we always talk about the 80s the drug culture but the reality was it was the me generation. As they yeah. That's very, very apt. Society was creating that culture, mm-hmm. this very selfish culture. It's in our films. It's in our novels of the 80s. Whenever we go back and look at the 80s, and we can look at it now because it's been 20-plus years ago. Or, yeah, 20-plus years ago. 30 in some cases. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you can see a lot of that now. It's even more selfish than the 70s was. The 70s. Well, I remember when I was growing up, everybody was like, "Oh, the seventies, nobody cared, nobody cared about anybody but themselves. All they wanted to do was fuck and do drugs and blah blah blah." But they were everybody was sharing, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if it was sexual partners, or, love, I mean, or drugs or sharing needles or whatever else. Now, disease might have rented a lot of that stuff, but by the time you get to the eighties, people start to become more possessive of everything. Yeah, very much so, and then by extension, more materialistic because mm-hmm. of their possessions. Yes, it becomes more important than the actual. You know, the pursuit of these things becomes more important than actually living your life. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it does. Uh, and I think too that there's something to be said for for the commentary that this was right at that intersection, no pun intended, of of a man controlling his own destiny, the equality amongst men. That that GTO's car, his GTO, may have been a wonderful car, but through the American dream of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and working hard, that 55 Chevy could run with that and beat it if they worked hard. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that they're even saying that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Harry Dean Stanton shows up, uh, speaking <laughs> of, of Joe, the male hustler. And, uh, it's like he just walked out of Paris, Texas into this movie or something. <laughs> yeah. No kidding, man. And, uh, it's, he goes, yeah, I'm not into that. But the thing I find curious about that, he goes, I got no time. Yeah, I know. Uh, so does that does that invite that if I had the time, I would? You know what I think it is, and this is again my personal opinion of the Oates per- performance and the character. He said it, and by the time he said it, he realized he may have hurt his feelings. Yes, and, and he doesn't. Again, this is it. He's an innocent douchebag. He didn't yeah. really want to hurt the guy's feelings. He kind of yeah. enjoys the conversation a little bit. He kind of yeah. feels bad. Now he does do some yeah. more asshole asshole things. Yeah, but the guy, but Stanton pushes him to that. Yeah, he does. He does. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, he really kind of helps Stanton out. I mean, yeah. there's there's another scene with them later on. He's like, oh, come on. I don't want to get out here. And, and he still ends up helping him out. So, again, there's there's a method to this character that Oates plays. It, it's really it's really one of Oates' best performances because it's such a, a, a crazy creation. And it could have been a one-note shithead ascot-wearing performance. And that would have been the easy way to go because that would have given us – That would have defined good versus bad. That's right. Of course it would have, but this isn't. This is Hellman's film. Yeah, and I think that's where another problem, another problem people run into with this film is I think they want it to be a versus movie. They want it to it's be. Not. 
It's they not want, at all. Yeah, they want it to be James Taylor and Dennis Wilson versus uh, – you know, Warren Oates. That's what they want. That's not the rich versus the poor. It's not old versus new. It's none of those things because we see how interchangeable those things are literally and figuratively later on when it becomes much bigger than a race because there's times when Oates can't race and Wilson's driving his car or Taylor, I can't remember, maybe Taylor is and and they help him when they could have said later, motherfucker. And it's just, it, it's so much bigger yeah. than the race. It's about the love of this this thing, this thing, they, they, yes. even though the Oates character is full of shit, he still loves this culture. He does. And he wants to be a part of it so much so that he's willing to trust two long haired hippie, hippie boys, yep. you know, to, to, with his car. I mean, there's, there's genuine teamwork in this film. There is absolutely there is. And that's a path that a lot of filmmakers wouldn't take because they wouldn't see it. They wouldn't get it. Mm-hmm. And Hellman understands it, and and it it totally becomes it's not a race, and the that's the furthest thing from what it is. Right, right. It really isn't that. But in um, a way, but in a way, you could argue that the film is all of it. All of the film is really a race against one thing, and that's time. That's right. And that's right. That's the other. I mean, you know, that that's the genius of this movie to me. It, it they're not racing each other. But they have a common goal, and they never talk about it in the film. The ending, te- the ending of the film tells you what they're racing, mm-hmm. if you're paying attention. Now, some would see the ending as pretentious. Uh, there's other ways to see it as well. Maybe, maybe some people think Monty Hillman didn't know how to end it. But I would disagree with that. I, I would disagree too, because it was a decision that was made, and uh, he ended another one of his films this way as well. But, um, and I'm sure we'll we'll probably cover it at some point. But mm. it's a western. Uh, but the. Uh, that's what they're racing against this film. They're racing against time, against this era, like we talked about in the beginning, that, that's bygone and they already know it, mm-hmm. that it's going away. Now, there was a lot of muscle cars in the 70s, and that lasted well into the late 70s, but this drag racing, street racing thing, which has come back in the last few years with import cars and whatever and whatnot, because it kind of comes and goes, right? Yeah. But this era will never be again. These never three-mile-to-the-gallon muscle cars – no. With four fifty fours in them, which if you, if if anybody has never, I, I I am a gearhead. I don't have the money to pursue that passion. Uh, if I did, I, I'd be in the garage all the time. I love cars. Uh, the more powerful and loud they are, the more I love them. Uh, I have been in a '66 Nova with a four fifty four and a blower and a nitrous hookup with my uncle when I was ten years old, and we fucking floored this son of a bitch. And once you get when you get a feel of that kind of power on four wheels, it yeah. does one of two things: either you shit your pants, <laughs> and you never want to get in a car like that again, or you immediately fall in love. And yeah. I fell in love. I mean, I just that power it threw me back in the seat. And that noise and that smoke in tires and, and yeah, and that whole sensation. Yeah, man. that pure primal power uh, was just it was intoxicating and and I've loved it from the day I was you know from that day I loved it before then but just now even now if I'm in I got a guy that lives down the street he works on this Camaro he's got it's got no muffler on it it's got this big fucking motor in it we start that motherfucker my wife gets pissed but I'm part of me inside is like fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> fucking hit that pedal man yeah <laughs> it's like he's he's, he's, ra- he's like he's raping my neighborhood and I'm cheering him on <laughs> under your breath you do like a little slight fist yeah. bump. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, part of me is the married man going, oh, God, honey, I know. He gets on my nerves. I know. I wish he'd keep it down. (laughs) Yeah, behind your back, you got your fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, 
I love the they throw totally throw Warren Oates off, and it's just fantastic. It's one of those just kind of funny little moments when he's kind of giving them shit, and they stop. And say, Would you like a hard boiled egg? Just a great moment, man. <laughs> man. I almost spit up my Gatorade when you said that. I forgot all about that moment. <laughs> yeah, the hard boiled egg. It's so great. Um, I love the way Warren Oates is one of those great actors who who shows who shows confusion and frustration so well yeah, <laughs> in does. his face. It always reminds me of his uh, character in Stripes, you know, the drill sergeant who oh, okay, who just yeah. yeah who's just constantly frustrated by the Bill Murray character, and he doesn't really. At some point, he just kind of doesn't know how to react anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's true. Um, again, well, a very Oatesian aside to someone i think he's talking to i can't remember who he's talking to now maybe he's talking to laurie bird's character maybe not and he says something about riding or a car i can't remember now and he says you know a car something that takes you from point a to point b yeah. it takes less time than walking <laughs> i can't remember the the context of it now but it was it was again pretty humorous and we have vint of course in tennessee and you know he's he's a, another gearhead he's you know and and this is a time when interestingly this kind of tied in with that documentary i watched about southern rock about how hippies were not welcome in the south uh, we know much a certain amongst a certain uh, group of people, and Vin would have been one of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, interesting little cameo there. And it's a again, good, good performance of, from Vin, by the way. It's, yeah, it's a little, it's a little one. Maybe like what? Maybe five to five, six minutes. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, but memorable. Yeah, memorable. Uh, I, again, to talk about the walking contradiction that is. Oh, it's, to to take it to even to the extent that maybe I'm looking too much into it, but that the American and the male psyche that. You know, you see what he orders with his hamburger and Elsa Seltzer. Elka Seltzer. He knows it's going to fuck him up. He still <laughs> wants it. And he's going to take the medicine with it at the same time. Yeah. That paradox. That's something we, I mean, as a guy, I can appreciate that. North sure. American. <laughs> yeah. Should be, should be known if people don't know a piece of trivia that isn't on, uh, I don't think the IMDb, but Warren Oates fucking loved hamburgers. <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved hamburgers. And there's a lot of, if you dig deep enough, there's a lot of pictures of him out there eating hamburgers and smoking cigarettes. Yeah, it's a good, you know, good old boy stuff, you know? The old days where people smoked and ate the red meat at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, man. Um, Sadly, he died way too young, 83. God, I can't can't believe he's been gone for almost 30 years. I know, it's amazing. It's like Lee Marvin, man. I know. Well, I mean, these are are hard-living guys. I mean, Oates was... Like uh, Sam, well, it's actually a miracle Sam Peckinpah lived as long as he did. But it is a miracle. But these guys like Oates and Marvin and actors like this that that somehow give us twenty or thirty years of of greatness, and they they live fucking hard. I mean, they just they take life for whatever it's going to give them, and they don't yep. look back. There's yep. something admirable about that. Uh, I'm a little too cautious. <laughs> I, I think as we've gotten older, we have become that because we're family men now. But yeah. There's something romantic about it and noble about it, despite the fact that at my age and at the point where you and I are at now, I would never do it. Yeah, at the point but, we are now, it seems ignorant. Yeah. But if I never would have gotten married and never would have had kids, I can't tell you that I wouldn't be that, you know, when I came up to see you in Canada, that we wouldn't have been sitting around smoking <laughs> cigarettes, drinking beer every night. You know, we would have been such a mess. <laughs> riding bareback, dressed like a couple of guidos, you know. Not with each other, by the way. No, no, but it it would have been a messy night. We would have woken up somewhere. We didn't know where we were. It would have been a gong show of the best kind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's that's sometimes what, you know, I've known guys. Sometimes marriage saves people. Other times it doesn't fucking change anything, sadly. Yeah, other times it sometimes it makes it even worse. It like it it like kickstarts a destructive nature that's even worse. Uh, My dad, unfortunately, who died at 49, uh, marriage marriage was 
not his thing. He probably should have never got married. Now, that sounds crazy to say because I came out of that, but I can see that he was just not made for that life as an older man now. Uh, me, on the other hand, it changed me in a good way because I was, I can, you know, I've never I've said so much show, but we've talked about it personally. In my 20s, I was headed down, I was headed down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I don't even know what a rubber is. So let's just put, I'm just lucky I got here. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, at this point, I'm thankful for every single minute I have. Mm-hmm. Amen, man. Um, and I don't mean that in a religious sense, more just as a figure of speech. <laughs> yeah. Not that, I, I, if you're religious, then good. That's a good thing. I, <laughs> I don't even want to go down that subject, but <laughs> let me just say this. Live and let live to everyone. Uh, whether Don't fault someone because they want to really just make them happy as long as they're not a zealot and don't, Yeah. you know, just li- like that's both of us, man. You're going to fetch us off the air. Just everyone live and let live, and the world will be a better place. It will be. You know, but anyway, my last note is I just love that certain quirks are never explained and that Hellman gives us just enough to, to flesh things out ourselves and, and to bring a personal – um lens to what we're looking at yeah yeah i love I'm, I'm very happy that you feel this way about this film uh this film is is personally very important to me this was one of my holy grail films growing up uh mm-hmm. this film wasn't always readily available um matter of fact i don't know if if i didn't i don't think i saw it until dvd because i don't think i ever saw it on tape <clears throat> and i can never get a bootleg copy of it or anything so i pursued this thing for a long time so I didn't probably see it until my 20s, sometime in my 20s. I can't remember when. Um, maybe I did see it on a tape. Anyway, I didn't see it until much later. Um, I've never said this publicly and everything else because I don't always talk about these kinds of things, but this film is one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, nice. If I was to make a top 10 list, this would be in there. This film uh, means that much to me. I think it's a perfect capture of the era it's made for. I think for me personally, it is the car movie. Now, there's other car movies that are more pornographic in their nature that I get off on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's other, you know, that we can sit around and just laugh and say, fuck yeah, you know, and stuff like that. But this one to me looks at cars in both that car porn way and in the value of what. Cultural. Yeah, this the value of the culture, the car culture. And that there is some value to it. It's not just and all. How, yeah, it's all not, and how the car fit into bigger culture yeah it's not all just rednecks and beer it's you know there, there's other things here so this film means a, a ton to me i mean I, it, it's it's just i think it's an american masterpiece i think it's one of the personally i think it's one of the greatest films ever made i think monty hellman is easily the most i don't know I, I would say overlooked but it's not really true because people who love movies know who he is so i don't know if it's overlooked as much as maybe misunderstood uh kind of american masters that we ever had I don't really yeah. consider him a ultra master filmmaker. I, I consider him like Brian De Palma. I consider Brian yeah. De Palma have some master films, but I don't really consider him a master filmmaker because he, well, he just doesn't. You're make- getting into rarefied air. I, I know what you're saying. If I, if I may, I think when you say master, I think immediately we think of our Kubricks, our Kurosawas, guys that are on a really rarefied air, and then I yeah. think just one notch below them, you get your De Palmas and your Hellmans. And, and Ashby, you know, Hal Ashby is a good example. Your Hal Ashby's and guys like this that that are right there too, but just just a notch below guys that are, are transcendent and right. really you know like a gold, silver, bronze. They're like you know like a tier below the gold, or maybe that's right. Maybe for some they might be in the bronze category. But either way, you're right. You're getting into rarefied air. You're getting into a filmmaker who this is very personal. This is what '70s filmmaking. This is the value of '70s filmmaking in a nutshell, right here. Mm-hmm. This is what it means to me. It it 
It's not about the show. He could have shot this a lot more fetish-like. Like, you know, we did drive not yep. too long ago. We, we did drive a couple weeks ago. And that that's great for the fetishization of cars and the driving itself and all of those things. That's great for that. But it doesn't really get into the culture of the car. Mm-hmm. It just gets into the culture of the or the uh, the fetishism of the of the driving of the car. This covers everything. The, you got the fetishism, you got the the culture, you got the importance. You know, this is it's like living and breathing. You know, so mm-hmm. it's very important. I, I, I'll go through a few notes I have because I think I've said a lot. We've talked about this movie for over an hour. So oh, wow, good stuff. <laughs> and I got to crank. We got to crank through the forbidden zone before I get a text message <laughs> telling me King Kong has risen. <laughs> and in case you guys are wondering, that means my son is napping, which is <laughs> which was totally dependent on us being able to record today. Yes. <laughs> the power of a two-year-old. <laughs> uh, I, my my basic principle. Now, people I always ask me, you know, what does this film mean to me? And I always say, look, people exist, cars exist, this world exists, and this is why the film is important to me. This is. When I was growing up, this is what the world was to me in a nutshell. It was, I can't wait to get a car so I can get out because there's freedom. There's this freedom with the, the, the automobile in America. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still looking at it from a totally American point of view, but, you know. But that's I, I, fine. You're an American. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and that's the way I saw the world. So it's all wrapped up in this hot rod movie, essentially. Well, what looks like a hot rod movie on that's the exterior, right. right? But, you know, like the hard-boiled egg, if you crack that shell, there's a lot more underneath. The this film is very deep and and it's kind of it it's it's a western in some ways like a lot of Hellman's films Cockfighter's a western in a lot of ways yeah um, he's made a couple of westerns and then there's I don't think Silent Night Deadly Night three is a western in any way shape or form but <laughs> even though Hellman who I think he's a little facetious when he says that that's his his uh, I've, I've heard otherwise <laughs> I would have to think he is but I've heard from a few sources that it's pretty yeah. You might be jerking our legs. What he a little was bit. trying to convey, but I mean, you know, we're talking over. You know, we're talking about a, a quality filmmaker who's made some films that, you know, he's made Cockfighter, Two Lane Blacktop. He did uncredited work on the film I covered with Brian over on Hammock. It's called Shatter. He uh, did Shatter Nine, Literally Thirty Seven, which fucking testy, which we'll cover at some point. Warren Oates oh, yeah. and Testy in that one. Uh, you know, I, I never saw Iguana. I never saw that one. Nor have I. Uh, so I've seen most everything else. I want to see Road to Nowhere. It's on Netflix. That's the new film. It's on yeah. Netflix Instant down here, but I haven't got checked it out. But I have seen Beast from Haunted Cave, his first film. I've seen The Terror. That's the Jack Nicholson horror film. And a couple other things. I don't think I've seen uh, Backdoor to Hell, but I'm sure we'll uh, check out, uh, whatchamacallit, um, the, the shooting. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the shooting or the Ride of the Whirlwind. I'm sure we'll check those out at some point. Yeah. Uh, on the show especially. But, yeah, this film, it just it means a ton to me. Muscle cars are a passion of mine. Uh, I love the sound. Like I said, the power, the craft of the customization. All of these things mean a lot to me. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be fancy painted. What I care about more is the power, what's under that hood. And if you ever notice, the guys that really care about the power of the car, not only do they not paint the car typically, but also that motor stays fucking clean, brother. Because oh, that yeah. that motor is the heart, and they're going to take That's care right. of that fucking thing no matter what. Yeah. And in these souped up hot rods, you'll see, man. You'll see they they might have some mud on them. They might not even be painted. Hell, they might have holes in the fucking doors. But that motor will be fucking pristine. <laughs> Nothing's going to get on that damn motor. Um, I always laugh. My wife always laughs when she sees these guys pull up at the car shows up here at the end of the street. we got a parking lot up here that isn't really used for anything. So on the weekends here in the town I live in, they kind of do little muscle car shows every now and then. 
and I'll go occasionally to walk around and stuff. And she's went with me a couple of times. And she says she always laughs because they get out of the car, they open the hood. She's like, why do they got to open the hood? I was like, that's the dick. You got to show yeah. the dick. That's <laughs> all about the dick. <laughs> she's like, oh, you guys are so weird. I'm like, watch. He's getting ready to clean that fucker. And sure enough, he gets his stuff and he starts cleaning that fucking motor, man. Yeah. <laughs> That fucking thing's going to be pristine, man, because he wants chicks to walk by and dudes. He wants dudes to walk by with a boner, and he wants chicks to walk by and get wet. Yeah. And that's all it's about. <laughs> and it's silly, but it, you know what? That's just that's that culture. Yes. And, you know, people might think getting together every week to talk about movies is kind of silly, but, hey, it's our, it's the culture I'm in right now, and I enjoy it. That's right. Exactly, man. Uh, I love listening to Warren Oates talk on film because that's what a Kentuckian truly talks like. Uh, they have a little bit of a southern draw, but not that much of one. You just hear it in little yes. bits and pieces. Uh, we don't actually talk like some of the characters on Justified. Thank you very much. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, it's it's kind of embarrassing, man. Yeah. You know. Um, but, yeah, th- the music is important in this film, too. We didn't talk much about the music. No. But I think Mon- one of Monty Hillman's favorite songs is Me and Bobby McGee. And yeah. it's one of the great songs ever written, regardless if you don't like uh, that genre of music or whatever. It's just, it, if you listen to the lyrics of the song, it's one of the most important songs I think ever written. By one of the most criminally underappreciated songwriters. Of our time. Yes, yes. Uh, but the, the line that, you know, it's no new tale to tell, this this line that I'm getting ready to say, but the most important line in that film, and, and it's it's poetry of a nature that I don't even know if Christopherson knew that he, when he was writing it that he had written this line that was like absolutely gorgeous but you know freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose mm-hmm. is one of the greatest lines ever written in any format movies yeah. books you name it because it is so true when you have ultimate freedom you have no worries yeah and really ultimately that's what life should be for most of us it should be about no worries live your life blah 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 sadly it's not always true but it's a romantic idea right so it works in yeah. that it works in that sense so the, the song is perfect for this movie, which is, is just great. Um, man, I really don't have a whole lot more to go on. We've talked so much about it. I don't want to – I want to give some time to Forbidden Zone. So uh, <laughs> I think we could talk about this for another hour probably because this film is so deep. Uh, I'm glad you, you see it this way. Uh, you know, it makes, me, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. But, you know, I have some people out here who see this film. I know we got some listeners. I think Rodrigo, I think, on the Facebook group. Somebody. Dusty fucking loves it. Yes. Fucking loves it. Yeah, some people. One, well, who's the guy with a tattoo on his torso? Of Somebody's got a tattoo. Oh, man. Uh, was it just uh, – not not Oberholzer. Oh, gosh. He has he has ZTO on his torso, man. Yeah, very yeah. cool. We were talking about that. Uh, Jordan or Justin? I think uh, – I, I thought it was Rodrigo. Maybe I'm wrong. No, Hertzberg. Um, gosh. Oh, wow. I don't know. I can't sorry, I don't. Name. Sorry, I can't I remember your name. <laughs> Jordan or I, I want to say it's with a J. And forgive me for not remembering, but he's got it on his torso. So we yeah. were kind of laughing about it last night. So yeah. Either way, uh, for those of us who love this movie, you know we are a select group, and uh, you know praise be to Tulane Blacktop. For those of you who don't, I say go back and watch it again because trust me, guys, there's a lot more here than what you may have. If you watched it for the first time and you didn't dig it, that's cool. But trust me, go back and watch it again. This film's a lot better than you thought it was. That's yeah. I normally don't say that because I usually say, you know, if you don't like something, you don't like it. No, it's no big deal. But I think I think this film is more important, and I'll say this till the day I die, this film is infinitely more important to American and film history than Easy Rider ever wanted to be. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, man. This film is not, everything. I, I, don't, I don't want to be going to feel either that it. I, I'm not, I don't mean that from a standpoint like people that say Rocky Horror sucks. Rocky Horror is great, and and Easy Rider is great. But I think it's um, 
it, it's the way it's metered out and the praise that's heaped on it, it should be the uh, reverse. And Tulane Blacktop should be the one that's celebrated as as a capture and a snapshot of Americana. But then again, that's a little bit differently. It's a little bit of a different film that goes on a little bit of a different path. But. It, does, it does. It does go on a little bit different path. But it, it it's what I always say. It's not always who comes first. It's sometimes who it's sometimes who comes second or third interprets what came first. Mm-hmm. It kind of really hits it on the head. And for me, Tulane Blacktop kind of hits all of the a lot of the ideas that Easy Rider put forth. I think Easy Rider is an important film. I just don't think it's a great film. Uh, no, I would agree with that. I think it's a good film, uh, yeah. and, and its importance outstrips its. Yeah, I think this film. is both a great and an important film. Agreed. Right. Well said. All right, so uh, let's hear awesome. your uh, let's hear your thoughts, scores, and whatnot. Oh man, I don't know how to pick a scene, man. I just don't know how to pick a scene. There's so many moments <laughs> in this film I love. I got to just go with the scenes when it's 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 GTO and them together because I think that kind of there's something really special about that, and I just I love their scenes together and. Even the scene when he starts improvising that he's their manager and they're a family and to vent and stuff. It's just so many great moments, man. And yeah. that says that say so much. MVT, I got to go with Hellman. Again, to straddle the line between a very poetic, almost European, yet very American film. It just It's a brilliant tightrope walk. Uh, my score for the film is a 9.25 out of 10. Yeah, yeah. It is. A fucking seminal film. I mean, it's so so important and and so well done. And it is minimal. And people maybe can mistake minimalism for being maybe dull. And I don't. I don't. I disagree. I think that there's so much being said with so little that is so beautiful and poetic with this film. Yeah, it's just not being force fed to you. I yes. I agree with you on the make or breaks. Really, really fucking tough to pick a make or break in this film. It is. I pondered on that for fucking hours, and after I watched it, I was like, God. Damn it, I can't figure out anything. Uh, so I'm just going to go with the same sentiment. I, I really do like the diner scene when, when he acts like he's their manager. It's, it's, just, it's, great. it's a great moment. Uh, and it's also, I, I love the look on Dennis Wilson and James Taylor's face. It's like, what the fuck is up with this guy? Where'd this come from? You know, they're kind of just going to go along with it. But at first, there's this little brief moment where they're looking at each other like, what the hell? Uh, my MVT, I could have went with Hellman as well. And, and normally I would because I think this is probably his masterpiece. Uh, but I'm going to go with Oats on this one because it's such a special performance. We're getting hijacked by Leapfrog. <laughs> I hear that. But, it, but Oats, it's such a special performance. It's it, it He's supposed to be this douchebag, but really you get behind his character in so many ways. It's it's one of the weirdest and best performances in any American movie probably ever. And uh, I would argue that. It, you know what? In, in some ways, it might be my favorite Warren Oates performance. Sometimes that's that's hard. That's tough to say because I really like him in Alfredo Garcia and, yeah. and a lot of stuff. But man, I really fucking love GTO. I mean, it's just yeah. it's such a classic performance of a guy who wants to be something more than what he is, and it's just it, it hits the nail on the head so many times. Um, my score for the film just a tad bit higher than yours, but I totally agree with everything Which is you said. Nine point five out of ten. Yeah. This film, for me, is as close to perfect as films get in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't think there'll ever be a perfect film for me. You know, I mean, sometimes when I rate stuff out of stars, like if this is a five stars, I rate it five out of five, right? But that's kind of a different rating system. I see that kind of differently. Ten out of ten, I, I, I kind of don't know if I'll ever have a ten out of ten, especially doing the show, I don't know. But this film, for me, I'll just say flat out, it's, it's as close to perfect of any film that we've ever done on the show for me. And a personal favorite. And uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend people go to Diabolic DVD. Buy this import Blu-ray. So worth it. It's loaded with extras. 
It's fucking gorgeous. Just, just, just do it, guys. Yeah, you know, I'm making you do it. Just do it. <laughs> oh, totally, man. It's well worth every dime. Uh, my son just assumed that my mother painted Edward Munch's "Scream" for me. That's nice, man. Your mom's very talented. My, my tell her to paint. Talented. Tell her to paint it for me, and then I'll sell it as a copy. And even as a copy, <laughs> I can get a couple hundred thousand out of it, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Can you say hi, Sam. Say hi, hey, well. it's your time to go. Say adios. 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 <laughs> Engl- that uh, the English yeah. is talking is getting more and more clear. It's so bizarre when kids get to that level where they're talking gets so clear. Oh, I know. It's like they, they become these little, like little, like adults in some weird way. <laughs> yeah, the way they articulate things. Yeah, no, it's, it's true, man. It's pretty crazy. Like mine, you know, he's he's talking a lot more and stuff, and but you know, some words still sound like baby words, whereas you know, William, I don't hear any baby words anymore. Everything's no, and just it, now it's just a matter of correcting past tense versus present tense. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah, yeah. Crazy. All right, so we're going to take a short break, come back and talk about a film that is slightly different in tone uh, called Forbidden Zone, directed by Richard Elfman. Uh, so we'll be back right after this. American Dream He's just a common man the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm coming to you live and in living color. Speak to you, the American people. A podcast called Silver Gold And you know that the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silva. Sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears. Stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and sh. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. So much 
All right, everybody, welcome back to the GGTMC. We got uh, Forbidden Zone up on the slate next. You know what? Since I kind of programmed the show, I'm going to just going to let you take the lead again uh, because this is actually a lot of times with these shows we program pretty much all on our own. I think both of us like to see what the other thinks of certain films. And this was a scenario where I had to pick a couple, and I, it says on here Forbidden Zone's from 82. So I know it was yeah. shot in 79, though. So it took a while for it to come out. But anyway, um, I'm curious what you think of this thing because this is another film I saw at a young age, thought it was fucking bananas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, always kind of wanted to cover on the show. Some other shows did it, so I kind of held off for a while. Didn't really want to, you know, didn't want to, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to cover something right after somebody covers something. You want to kind of hold off a little bit. So, um, let me see if I can synopsize for you. Uh, the bizarre and musical tale of a girl who travels to another dimension through the gateway found in her family's basement. And that makes it sound like it's a very simple tale. But this film is far from simple and is definitely, um, I'll just say, for me, it's it's a fever dream. So I, I'm curious as to what you think. I think this is maybe the second time we've done a musical on the show. Second or third time? Yeah, we did uh, Phantom of Paradise, and I think that was it. I think that was it. It seems like there might have been another one in there, but maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. I can't even keep track of what we cover anymore. <laughs> I know, man. I know. Well, I guess it's been four years, right? I mean, two hundred. you figure two, almost 200 episodes. A, plus lot, of, a lot of movies. A lot of movies. Um, so full disclosure... Um, I had zero interest in watching this. <laughs> uh, I I can't remember if it was Mondo Movie or who it was. Someone had talked about this, something I had heard a long time ago, and it really annoyed me to hear to even hear about the film. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh man, uh, we got to cover this." But I have faith in you, so I was like, "Okay, well, yeah, we'll you know, you know, I know." Um, <laughs> but you know, I figured, "Okay, well, we got to give it a whirl here, give it a college try." So. Yeah, your girl Susan Terrell's in it, cooking it up. You even get some, some uh, i got to watch what I say, yeah. booby action. Yeah, some booby action. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some booby action. <laughs> and, yeah, you do. You totally do. And, uh, of course, it should be said the Elfman, or was it uh, Danny's brother? Was it Richard Elfman? Yeah, Richard Elfman. Uh, he was actually one of the creators of the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Danny ended up turning that into a rock and roll band called yes. Oingo Boingo, obviously. Um but Richard is, uh, he's, you know, he's a hes a bizarre dude. Let's just put it that way. Richard Elfman's a weird dude. <laughs> yeah, and Danny, of course, went on to become one of the most celebrated um, composers of our yeah. time. And Danny's not the most normal dude in the world, it should be said. No. Uh, <laughs> I'd, like to have, I'd like to have been a fly on the wall in their household growing up. Oh, man, that was an interesting, <laughs> Some, very bizarre. <laughs> they grew up in South Central L.A. as well. It's very strange. It is, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, we have what we have here really is a black and white cult musical, and um, that's that's something that uh, <laughs> I hear heavy breathing. <laughs> yeah, my son's here beside me. Um, it's like we're back on the dress to kill episode. <laughs> what does it say? Daddy can't read his own writing. Um, uh, it says. Oh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Rod? Rod. Rod? Good boy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Good boy. <laughs> um, so this, I have to say two things. I'm going to be, I'm going to just fully disclose, not the biggest fan of this film. Daddy, those are your styles. Okay, okay. Okay, you can tell me all about it when we were barbecuing, honey. Um, 
Now, here's the, t- the thing I found very interesting, though, about this film. I'm glad I watched it because I think there's a lot of merit to the film. It, this is a classic case, I think, of something that I can appreciate from a sort of a clinical or detached point of view. Right. But on a personal level, doesn't work for me. Okay. But the interesting thing is, within the opening three minutes of this film, two things pop out at me. Number one, Pee Wee Herman is extremely influenced by this film. <laughs> it almost, almost his entire aesthetic is indebted to this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's obvious, and I'm a big Pee Wee fan. You know, I grew up watching it, and I want to go Can back. Can we come with that picture? You did, honey. Um, I want you to want to watch it with my kids, actually. The and brown one. So that's what follows picture? this. The brown picture. The brown picture. You know what? Though it's time to go, honey. Go get grandma to put it on treehouse for you for a minute, honey. Why? Well, because Daddy's trying to finish the show so we can barbecue. Why? Yeah. Do you have to go? I'll tickle you later. Yeah. Um, so you just said that, and you're not doing a very good job. You're more of a talker than I am, and that's no small feat. Um, so Pee Wee is what follows it. What precedes it, what I think this is indebted to, is ironically my favorite comedy of all time, which is Hell's a Poppin'. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot like Hell's a Poppin' in some ways. Yeah, very, 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 you very s- interesting. If you've seen Hell's a Poppin', you see a lot of Hell's a Poppin' in The Forbidden Zone. Yes. Yeah, and I you see, totally agree with you. And you see a lot of Joe Spinell as a sailor in the Forbidden Zone, which <laughs> yeah. is super cool, man. I forgot he was in it when I saw it in the credits. I was like, yeah. Somehow he still manages to be sweaty, even in black and white. <laughs> yeah, even in black and white in a sailor outfit in a small room. Um, it, I mean, it has an energy. And something else I think this is very indebted to, it has an energy, an undeniable, irrepressible energy, like an early comedy or a zany cartoon. Yeah, it's like it's like a Betty Boop cartoon. It's like a Max uh, Fleischer cartoon. Yes, uh, it's a lot like that. Where you know, when I was growing up, I never thought that Heckle and Jekyll or Betty Boop cartoons or any of these things were offensive. Now, as an adult, if I look back at those things, oh, wow. it's pretty yeah. fucking obvious that uh, you know nobody was really worried about offending a certain race of people. Yeah, uh, Richard Elfman in this film he manages to offend just about every minority in some way, including shape, his own. Yeah, including his own. He's he's a Jewish American. Yeah. Uh, and he, his grandfather's even in the film. I think he plays the rabbi. Yeah, and he's very Jewish. And yeah. uh, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, he 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 got blasted a lot for this film for oh, being yeah. a racist and because he uses blackface, he uses some other things that are questionable. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, it it's a steady vision. And I don't think it's a vision with malice or ill intent. No, I don't either. I think it's a vision that looks at the world. In all, in reality, he looks. It's not. It's almost a dark look at the world, but at the same time, it's a. It's kind of a zany, happy-go-lucky look at the world, mm-hmm. where is there is none of this stuff, where you can take things like blackface and Judaism and and sex and midgets and and all of these things. Yeah, I mean, there's an interview with uh, Susan Terrell on this thing, and she said when she first saw Hervé that. Uh, she said she knew her lifelong dream was going to be fulfilled. One of her lifelong dreams was going to be fulfilled. And Richard Elfman asked her what, and she goes to fuck a midget. Do you know they actually dated? Yeah, yeah, they did. They they fucked off, and and evidently they fought a lot on the set of this. Their relationship was their Over relationship. The yeah, well, it was a very volatile. Hervey, for those who don't know, Villachez was pretty fucking wild. He uh, <laughs> he liked guns. Yeah, and he liked pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you put those two together, and something bad's going to happen. <laughs> and you get women like Susan Terrell. And the problem is, and Matthew Bright says this on the commentary, the problem is he loved guns, but his hands weren't equipped to handle them correctly. Yeah. So everybody was always very nervous 
that he was going to accidentally pull the trigger and kill somebody. Yep. So because you know he had he had small person hands, they were kind of weird. So you know, there's a lot of great stories about what goes on behind the scenes in this film as much as there is on the camera. But yeah, the 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 movie's just I don't, I don't even know. Sometimes I hate when we pick well when I pick films like this because it's almost really hard to talk about this film in any kind of sense other than the fact that it's just fucking bananas. It is really bananas. I mean, it, it, like I said, I, the thing I take away from it is, is it wears its influences on its sleeves and then the influence that it has on other things. That yeah. was the biggest thing. And like I said, the energy and so forth. And I mean, right away it opens, we get these bald mustachioed men in Speedos and then a frog man in a suit with tails. Like, <laughs> there's things that you can try to describe in this film that just you're not going to see in any other film. Yeah, exactly. You just won't. Yeah. You know, you see Hervé... I won't read my note exactly as it is because I'd have to swear. It's a pin, honey. Go show Grandma. Maybe she can put it on your shirt for you. It's a pin? It's a pin. It's a Dumbo pin, honey. I gave it to Grandma a long time ago. You're pulling the parent tricks I pull all the time. Yeah, go show Mommy that real quick. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Go. It's careful, honey. Go show Grandma. <laughs> exactly. He's caught on to your game. He's like, whatever, man. <laughs> he has. He totally has. Um... And, I mean, Hervé's crown is as big as his torso. <laughs> Hervé looks great Which, in this, though. I mean, he's, he was in pretty good health at this point, and uh, he's fun in the movie. You know, he's... He's fun. No, he totally is, and he's having a blast, and I would be, too. I mean, you get to make up with this wild coog throughout the film, and yeah. she plays your queen. And... Squeeze, her, squeeze her tits, and... Oh, yeah. 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 This is kind of the beginnings of Susan Terrell in her second phase of acting, where she kind of takes it up a notch. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we get a pig-nosed woman in this that reminded me frighteningly of the awful S&M Nightmare Woman from Japan. Yes. It was awful. Um, you know what's weird, too? I caught it quickly. I'm a huge fan of Lloyd Price's Stagger Lee. I know you are, too. There's a moment when they reference Stagger Lee because yeah. I think they talk about Billy getting shot in this. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, uh, it's got that sort of that, that Marx Brothers uh, or just that zany comedy stuff that you would probably watch three or four times before you catch 80% of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much going on. It's very slapstick in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, when people jump through windows, there's sound effects. When people—it's—it's it's very much a live-action cartoon. And uh, you know, they didn't have any money really to make this movie. I mean, I read, watched the documentary, and they would sleep, and they'd have a bunch of these gorilla suits, and they'd sleep at the studio they were shooting it in. They'd all get in these gorilla suits and sleep on the floor to stay warm because oh, wow. uh, they didn't have any money to make this movie. When you think about this movie and the fact that they had very little money. That point is probably the most impressive thing uh, because Definitely. visually this film is so simple and yet kind of kind of lush in a weird way. And it's it's got definitely got some German expressionism. Uh, there's definitely oh, it that. Does, in there. The lighting and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of that in there. It has uh, it has a lot of nice little touches that well, it's got like some Cecil B. DeMille in there. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going Bugsy Berkeley. Maybe that's what I mean. The kind of dance sequences and stuff. There's yeah. a big dance sequence, and it's very it's very Berkeley esque. Um, so, what's most interesting about the film to me is it, it's kind of like this amalgamation of like everything maybe Elfman had seen in his I life. I totally agree. The stuff that they loved that that maybe yeah. consciously and subconsciously he threw into the film. Yeah. So and and it, it kind of that's where it can either work for you completely or it doesn't really work for you, which I totally understand that sentiment. I mean. I'm that way with Rocky Horror. It just doesn't work for me, but I understand why people dig it. 
And that's, I think, where I differ. I, I adore it, and I, I know it's oversaturated, but to me, I don't, from myself, I don't let it get oversaturated. Right, and, right. And that's why I love it. Now, do I prefer Phantom of the Predators? Sure, but I think that Rocky is to cult musicals with Scarface, to me, <laughs> uh, what it is to, <laughs> is to sort of gangster films. It's oversaturated. I don't let that detract from how much I love it and how right, good right. I think it is and how right. well I think it's made. And the thing I also applaud Elfman uh, for doing is making his own film here. And, and you know, I know Herbie was only that he got paid to make the film, which is pretty incredible. And uh, it just and when you get a film that's this unfiltered, you get a unique experience that is unique to the voice of the filmmaker. Right. And that's something that has to be applauded because it's not a, an assembly line film that you get with a lot of other uh, films that were made by the studio system. Is, is your is your mom in the room trying to whisper to trying to shush him, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty funny. It's okay, Mom. <laughs> I know. Honey, can you go downstairs for, for a few minutes? Daddy's going to be down in 19 minutes. <laughs> you can take your money with you. <laughs> Daddy, you can help Daddy do the, the sausages and the corn. Grandma's going to give him a good thrashing downstairs. <laughs> no. But, of course not. For, for, <laughs> for our listeners who didn't know, when, when I first met Will at his house, when I went to Kendi, he also asked me if I would do some sausages with him. And I, I wasn't quite comfortable with that comment at the time, but I understood later. Hervé had done some movies before, and he kind of become a cult thing. He had already been in The Man with the Golden Gun as Nick Knack. He'd already been in... Uh, a couple other things. Greaser's Palace, which is another fucking bizarre movie. Yes. If you've never seen that. That's, have you uh, seen it? A, yeah, I have. Down, it's more it's Downey Jr. Robert Downey, isn't it? Yeah, Robert Downey Sr. Yeah. It's a fucking weird one, too, man. Yeah. But, <laughs> he so, made a few weird films. Man. Yeah, yeah. He's, that dude's made some weird movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Putney Swope is a well-known film. But, man, that, when you watch that movie, that movie's fucking weird in some ways. It's it's genius in its own way, but it's weird, too. It's Paul Thomas Anderson's favorite movie. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, no, he'd done some things, but... I think uh, I think Matthew Bright, the guy that was in the movie, played uh, uh, Squeeze It. Now Matthew Bright went on to direct Freeway and Freeway Two, and uh, he did a Ted Bundy film, and then he did uh, Tiptoes, the Gary Oldman dwarf film. Oh, the Miles Lemare. Yeah, the Miles Lemare classic. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Bright's a really interesting guy. He's very very weird guy, <laughs> very weird dude. Uh, and, uh, one of the more interesting things coming out of this has been Matthew Bright, but like Oliver Stone's a big fan of his, he helped produce freeway and stuff. And, uh, I think he was just rooming with Hervé at the time. And I think, you know, they, El- Elfman didn't know him. So, you know, they just kind of got him in the film and stuff. And Terrell was very happy about it. Cause she, like she said, she just wanted to fuck a midget. That's awesome. It was a lifelong dream and she got to fulfill Bravo. it. And she stacked. What a coog, man. Yeah, I, I really, I mean, I've said this before on the show. I mean, I really love Susan Terrell. Uh, I'll admit, I'll be the first to tell you that uh, I don't always love her acting style. It's uh, a bit, she, not a bit. It's very over the top. It's a little Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah, it's a female Nick Cage in some ways. She really goes the films for. It. In this film, it might be more suitable, but really, in a lot of the films in the '80s she made and '90s, she did this all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I think of uh, her in Crybaby with Johnny Depp. She's way over the top mm-hmm. in that too. Um, of course, I think everybody in the John Waters movies over the top. But anyway, she. Uh, but man, every time that tit would poke out, fuck. <laughs> she's pretty wild, man. She's, you can tell she's a woman that loves sex. Yeah, no, she she'll she'll, she'll boldly admit that you know she does what she fucking wants. Mm-hmm. She is a unique person. A, a very she's my favorite kind of actor. She's so far removed from everything that normal people do <laughs> that, yeah. and so over the top that you know you just wonder you know is she legitimately crazy. Her and um, Beatrice Dahl would make a 
Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, she's pretty, pretty fucking out there too. Insane like, combination. I'd like for there to be a love swing between Beatrice Dahl, uh, Susan Terrell, and Gary Busey. Nice. While, <laughs> while, while, while Nick Cage films it. Yeah, exactly. And man. see what happens. And, and then Busey's just, beating off in the corner. Yeah, and just for shits and giggles, I want Klaus Kinsey swinging from a chandelier with a chocolate-covered <laughs> banana hanging off his ass. Nice, man. Very nice. <laughs> now that's a fucking movie. <laughs> yes, that is. Uh, I really dug the princess that she was foxy. Oh yeah, uh, what's uh, what's her? Uh, uh, oh, I know her real name, Giselle. If you listen to the commentary track, which I'd heard before, Matthew Bright all he talks about in the commentary track is how much he wanted to fuck her the whole film. <laughs> I don't blame him at the risk of it because she was attractive. Yeah, um, she had them. I, I, she had them nice. Uh, not to sound too piggish, but she had those nice uh, puffy nipples. Yeah, man, very puffy. Yeah, she had nice small breasts. She you was an attractive woman. Hang a coat on those. Yeah, man. Uh, hang a fang on those. <laughs> you can hang a fang on those, yeah. Going, quote, going back to Miles there. Yes. <laughs> Wait, uh, I love that Susan Trout, I've never thought I'd ever heard a woman say anything like this in a film. When she says to uh, Hervé, I'm waiting for you to tell me why that slit is so important to you. Yeah. Referring yeah. to another woman, he calls. she calls her a slit. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, let me ask you this. Chicken mom, Susan Terrell. Did you did you find yourself sexually attracted to Chicken Mom? Chicken Mom. Yeah, the one Joe, Joe, Joe Spinell's making out with. Oh yeah, a little bit. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> why not? Why not? Susan Terrell with the chicken nose. I thought she was. Uh, why not? <laughs> thought she was, I kept hoping uh, Spinell would just tear her shirt off. Yeah, fuck, I know. I and I bet Susan would be like, I because I would have I would have paid to see fucking Joe Spinell fuck her. Yeah. Uh, no, you're being too polite. Zom would have said, I would have paid to see Joe Spinell spit on her asshole. <laughs> you probably would have let him, man. He would oh, yeah, have I'm sweating sure. just doing that. I'm sure but, she's into uh, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If he would have done uh, that, I would have started sweating. <laughs> I'm not into that, but I wouldn't mind seeing Joe Spinell do that to Susan Terrell. <laughs> Terrell should have been in uh, in Maniac, not, um, yeah. oh gosh, what's her name now? Uh, it doesn't matter. Let's move on. We're <laughs> prince for time. Uh, some background things really reward attention. Um, like the newspapers always change and and the human candle holder turning into a skeleton and stuff. And there's really great Betty Page paintings. So, yeah. you know, there's some fun stuff in it. The, the teacher who is the worst Andy Dick drag queen in the history of cinema. Oh, <laughs> just awful. That, that, that actually, that guy that plays the teacher, he's actually the same guy that does the human chandelier. It's funny you mentioned that. Oh, nice. Very nice. Uh, I love the the magic propeller doggy style with the dad. Mm-hmm. This kind of stop motion stuff. A lot of technique and on and aesthetics on display. Um, now, if you ever wanted to see a biped frog with an oversized head in a tuxedo with tails, rhythmically sodomize a hot blonde over a gurney, this is your film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's truly an original image. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Uh, the animation, just to talk about influence, seemed French at times. Yeah, no, it's 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 bizarre stuff. I mean, uh, I I don't know enough about animation to know where the the true influences come from. Um, I mean, I know the Fleischer stuff, and I know the influence of like Cab Calloway on this film. Oh, big time, yeah. Which is pretty great stuff, and uh, Josephine Baker as well. I think some of the songs in here that yeah. uh, Frenchie sings are actually Josephine Baker songs, and Josephine yeah. Baker actually singing because Frenchie uh, that's her true accent. And uh, I was gonna say she did a pretty good job. It sounded quite a thing. Yeah, 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 she still sounds like that. There's an interview on the disc, wow. but uh, these are those are some. It's just a weird mixture of influences. You know, it's 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 literally like a uh, 
uh, a mixed pot of soup of some sort, you know, a melting pot. It's like he threw some, I mean, the Cab Calloway and the kind of crazy jazz stuff, that comes from the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. They were kind of like that very experimental band in a lot of ways, of performance art, you know, some weird. Yeah, I think some, they were like a Broadway show, or not Broadway, but like off-Broadway or something. Yeah, they formed in L.A. and stuff. They were pretty popular. And, you know, uh, Danny Elfman took it up to a little bit of pop music and stuff, but it was always still kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I really do like Danny Elfman as the devil in this film. He's pretty great. It's pretty over the top, to say the least. Oh, yeah. My last note is they call out Yojimbo in this film. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, in turn, the Warriors called out with, of course, the throwing the knife into the hand of someone who's about to shoot you with a gun. Yeah. So as far reaching as Kurosawa. So very cool. <laughs> it's very interesting. goes from Fleischer to Cab Calloway, Josephine Baker to German Expressionism to fucking Yojimbo. French animation yeah. to fucking Kurosawa. It's, it's all over the map. Okay, so... I understand your thoughts on this film. I knew you'd come down on either one side or the other. Of course, I also knew that you would still review it as a film and not take it. You know, obviously, you wouldn't put personal things on there. This movie. Yeah, you wouldn't come on and say "fuck this movie," Um, which is just you know, it's a cheater's way out. That's that's not a way to review anything. No, it's not. It's easy to get angry at a movie, but if you're really going to review something, you know, you got to kind of talk through. So. Um, It has a nostalgic feel for me. This is another one of those ones that was a holy grail film for a long time. I heard about it. A lot of people, some people said it was better than Rocky Horror. Some said it was uh, better than Phantom of the Paradise. Some said it was, it's not better than either one of those in some ways. I like some, I like the music in Rocky Horror quite a bit. I think I've always said that I'm a big fan of the music of Rocky Horror. Not so much the film, but. What about Curry's performance? Oh, no, well, I love Tim Curry. Well, first of all, I think Tim Curry is one of the greatest actors that's ever lived. Yeah, it's a shame he didn't do more. I think that he gets shit on a lot, and I think he's. Honestly, I think he's one of the greatest actors ever. He's astoundingly yeah. good. Yeah, he's very, very good. Um, they were just talking about him on a Miles, a show show. I, I, I have just listened to. I want to full disclosure here. I have just in the last week because I've been sick and everything else at work. I have listened to about forty-two episodes of Show Show back to back oh, to back wow. to back. Because I had all of Spooktacular still on my iPod. I listened to all of it, and I just listened to him cover one of my favorite films, Times Square. And they were talking about Tim Curry because he's in that film, and he's so fucking good in Times Square. If you haven't seen that film, definitely. Never we, seen him. We, we might cover that at some point, so you might want to hold off. We, either way, whatever. If you see it, you see it. Whatever, but it's a cool film. Uh, very punk rock. But So I finally get a hold of this thing, and of course it didn't quite live up to my expectations, but I can't argue that, and nobody can argue, that it's not an original vision. It, it's definitely an original kind of subversive piece of experimental cinema in some ways. Mm-hmm. It's a little trauma esque without the gore. It's got a little bit of that trauma vibe to it, or at least yeah. I should say maybe trauma grabbed a little bit from this. The mm-hmm. kind of over the top wackiness. I think this yeah, has got wacky blue. Yeah, I think this has got more of a point than that those films typically do. I don't mind trauma as much as you do, but I don't love them either. I think they're very hit and miss, and by very hit and miss I mean they miss more often than they hit. <laughs> oh yeah, they've only hit a couple of times for me. So you think about that; they're mm-hmm. a better distribution company than they are film. Totally, <laughs> man. They would have, yeah, they would have made a lot more money distributing stuff like Combat Shock and Stabilizer and stuff. Yeah, so this this film is pretty fascinating for that reason. Um, like I say, Matthew, the, the character gets on my nerves the most in the film, even though I do like Matthew Bright. Is Matthew Bright? I mean, Squeeze it gets on my nerves. Yeah, I totally agree, man. He really drives me nuts. And it's not the chicken stuff. It's not the but it's just the way he talks. It just drives me fucking nuts. Okay. Yeah. It's just one of those characters. He's irritating as shit. Um I understand what he's going for, 
But he's not as irritating as like the sister that constantly wants to get raped or fucked or or something oh, else. <laughs> There's a great line where he says, "Damn it all, something else, fuck my asshole," and jumps into a pin full of looks like sheiks or something fucking him. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in that scene. All I was looking for was Terrell's tit, which kept popping out every time she threw a whip, uh, which oh, I was yeah. very excited about. Um, but it does have something to offend everybody. It's got the black face, like I said. There's copious. There's a lot of nudity in the film. Uh, full frontal nudity should be said. Uh, like you said, a frogman fucking a princess, and you know if that didn't offend you enough, you got Hervé Villachez and Joe Spinell, two of the most attractive actors to ever grace the screen easily. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Even though I think both Joe and Hervé did think they were attractive, I know Joe thought he was a rather uh, a dapper don. So he was a good talker, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen some footage of him toward his later years, and that guy was uh, that guy was not afraid to talk to any female. Uh, you know, so more power to him. Uh, you know, to me, not the most, you know, definitely not an Antonio Banderas. <laughs> no, <laughs> let's say that. Okay. Um, I will say that for anybody in our group who hasn't seen this film, you probably never seen anything like it. Um, I'd say that the films we've talked about in this review, uh, are probably as close as anything you're going to see like it. Like you want to talk about Rocky horror and all right. So I really don't have a whole lot more to add. And that other than the fact that I think the film is a good film. Uh, I don't think it's a great film, but I think it's also a, a bit of a novelty and a bit of a curiosity. Uh, so take that as you will, as the kind of my thoughts on the film. Uh, actually, I think the disc is still worth owning. Cause I think the story behind forbidden zone is actually better than the film itself. So that's fair. If you want to see some pretty good, you know, people working hard on a film, uh, you know, to get a film made, it's pretty interesting. So, uh, and the, and the disc is packed. I haven't, we, we got this before we uh, could have got the, uh, the arrow just put out a Blu-ray of this. I don't know if that's got the same features or if it's got some new stuff, but, uh, yeah, the story's great behind the film, but let's hear your scores and whatnot. Okay. So make or break is the Spinell sailor scene. I just, I literally love Spinell. I'm going to see him show up in this and I took a screen cap and posted it. I, I mean, you, you go with a hundred different things with this film that you're never going to see in another film, but uh, that was the one for me. Um, MVT, just the energy of the film. You can tell they have a passion for this to get all this stuff out onto film. Um, so, you know, I applaud them for that. My score for the film, like I said, it doesn't work for me. Um, mm-hmm. that's it. I can't see why people would love it. If it works for you, it's just going to keep hitting that sweet spot. Um, but for me, it's a 6.25. Um, that's still a fair score. I mean, it's only two should be said. I think it's only like a 73 minute film. Yeah, it's a short, short film for sure. Which is probably a good thing because honestly, I think if it was much it would longer, tire you after a while. Yeah, it's because it, it's it's an exhaustive film in a lot of ways to the senses. I should say that's a good score though. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I actually thought you scored lower than that. No, that's, I got to be fair. Like I said, I, I may not watch it again. I'll watch the special features though for sure because like you said it's an interesting story. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, my make or break. I'm going to go with the art direction. I really like the simplicity of it. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. Um, it should be said there's one other thing I don't like in the film. It's the random old men humping women. <laughs> it's like it, oh, it, I know. it happens every minute. <laughs> it's kind of funny the first couple of times. But, uh, my MVT, I'm going to go with the Elfmans. Uh, this, this is you know fever dream of the Elfmans. This is just craziness, and uh, that's what I'll go with because uh, without them, I don't know if this film would exist. I mean, this is so them. Uh, Richard Elfman hasn't made a whole lot of films, so he's only made a few. So this is definitely interesting. My score... A little higher in yours, 7.5 out of 10. I appreciate it for what it is. I like that it's short. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? I just I, I enjoy the movie. It works for me. It doesn't really – really, my score is kind of that difference. It works for me. So, I, you know, 7.5 out of 10 for me, 6.25 for you. So, yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. 
All right. All right. So that's our uh, that's the big show this week. In case you guys are wondering why we're hurrying a little bit, me off the air, my son, the great beast of the uh, Pacific Northwest or Pacific Ocean area islands, where you know we sacrificed the white women. Yeah. Uh, King Kong himself has awake, awoken and uh, is on his way home. So, uh, yeah, I had to get done recording soon because he'll come in here and say, Stinky Steamies. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Pleasant Trees. Check out her sister show, Silver and Gold, Show Show OTC, Hammockus, and shows from the Skeleton Closet, Podcast on Fire, Podcast about Honor and Humanity, Cine Awesome, Action Attraction, Married with Clickers, Paleo Cinema, Girls on Film, Glee Cast, Family Movie Night, 35mm Heroes, Chin Stroker vs. Punter, the Night of the Living Podcast, The Big Red Podcast, Better in the Dark, V Cinema, The Criterion Cast, Projection Booth, and the Mono Film Podcast, which the episodes, uh, I think the first two episodes which I've done on Jerry Lewis uh, with Justin are out and up for consumption, so check it out. Pretty awesome. Yeah, good stuff, man. Uh, I'm going to do a few more things this week. Love that album, movie matchup, and of course check out ParisCinema.net to get a subscription, NightmareTheater.blip.tv, We Are Young Monster, uh, teleport-city.com check out these are all.blogspot.com of course the ggtmc rupert pupkin speaks deadly doll's house chuck norris ate my baby fist of b-list cinema gonzo the playground of doom scared shiftless and shasta moon in the gutter wax mask and of course deathrattle.net the lightningbugslayer.com we like stuff too a hero never dies the freaking awesome network uh, check out our sponsors uh, and the show, which is brought to you by DiabolicDVD.com. Check out Cinema-DE-Bazaar.com. All your hard-to-find genre needs. Promo code GENTLEMEN for 10% off your orders. Uh, OMG-Entertainment.com. Promo code GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders. BoulevardMovies.com. Camera Obscura. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, uh, which is uh, Twitter.com. Backslash GGTMC. Large William. Uncool Cat. Bob Freelander. No, uh, Bob Freelander. Yep. Uh, Pickle of 10. And what else I'm forgetting? iTunes reviews, and that is it. That is all. I do want to say something I fucking should have said a while ago, and I forgot. And I kept rolling, and I fucking forget what it was now. Um, okay, so what? I'll try to think of what it was I was going to say. I was going to mention someone, and I was like, oh, I'll just run through this and then say it. And of course, I forgot to say it. Now I've fucking forgotten it altogether. Yeesh. And I'm mulling over two movies. I was on a side, both from Hong Kong, one from late 70s, early 80s, one from 1990. Very different in tone. Oh, boy, decisions, decisions. Um, I don't know. I'll have to see. All right, I'm back. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. Are we doing an obligation show or are we picking? That's up to you. What do you want to do? What do you want to do, bro? What do you want to do, bro? Well, if we do an obligation show, um, when was the last time we did an obligation show? Was it last week? No, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Let's just say we will have a show next week. Yeah. Let's it's just do that. You have to be determined. We will have a show out one way or the other. Yes, you needn't will. worry about that. We will. <laughs> with that. Let's just do that because, honestly, I don't know if I can be on next week or not. I haven't really even thought that through yet. Sure. So just for our listeners' sake, we'll just say... You know, we're either going to have a show next week, it'll be obligation or picks, but it might not even be me because I don't even know if I'll be available. I'm on vacation you next will, week, so I don't know. You will get content out, I promise. Yeah, we'll get you'll get something. So even if it's just my shiny new motor. Anyway, yes. <laughs> all right. So with all that being said, uh, we wish you all the best. Everybody had a good holiday in Canada. Everybody has a good holiday next week. Be safe and adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. 
You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 